This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. What's happening, Jacksonville? Happy New Year. Hope everybody had a good holiday, and uh, here we go. 2020, just like that. Yeah. You ready? Uh, doesn't really matter if I'm ready. It doesn't. It doesn't. I'm just, here. The calendar keeps clicking, man. Absolutely. As long as the heart keeps ticking, the calendar keeps clicking. <laughs> I like that. Um, it just made it up. Uh, Brett Martin, <laughs> Austin Lane, Coos, back in 2020. Hope you did have good holidays. Uh, everybody safe and happy and festive. What do you do? Uh, I fell asleep watching cartoons at 10:30, <laughs> and then then I woke up at 2:30, pretty bummed that I couldn't see the ball drop. So there you go. You know what's interesting? First of all, I've, I've never been a big New Year's Eve guy. Yeah, it just doesn't do much for me. The ball sure. drop, whatever. Yeah. But more interesting than that is we spend three hours a day together. Yeah, and it's fun and we have a good time. But I'm not sure we could spend any time together outside of here. <laughs> What's up with that, man? Why do you say that? You seriously were watching cartoons at 10:30? Japanese, yeah, man. I was, like, well, I was watching season two of One Punch Man. How could I not watch that? Come on now. Yeah, we probably couldn't hang probably out. Probably couldn't hang out. Yeah, yeah I mean, fair enough, man. Especially but, on New Year's Eve. I to mean. be fair, though. So a little funny thing. So, like I said, uh, hopefully I have a fight coming up. That's why I didn't go out, because usually I would be out and about gallivanting and, yeah. you know, causing chaos. Lemon or something. Yeah, there you go. But it was more of a wholesome family New sake. Year's. And it was more of a wholesome family New Year's, which, hey, I'm all about, too. So, like I said, fell asleep at 1030. Woke up the next morning to a cool scene where I wasn't hung over for the first time on New Year's Day in probably a decade. So I took it upon myself. You know what? I feel good. Not hung over. Let's go do some yoga. So uh, I go to the YMCA downtown, the Winston one, to do some yoga because they had a class that fit my schedule. And all of a sudden I see Action News Jax is there. And I'm like, cool. They must be like interviewing people for, you know, like the yeah, New, New Year's, Year's resolution. Yeah. So couldn't help but notice that they were recording the yoga class a little bit. Now, I'm not going to brag. I'm not going to talk bad about myself. In terms of yoga, I'm probably like a Ben Wallace. You know, like I know my role. I give 110%. But, but I'm not an all-star at yoga, yeah. right? And Ben Wallace, I'm talking about the guy from the Pistons the Center. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, some people may not know The guy that. can rebound. Yeah, the guy can rebound. But, but he knows his role, right? My perspective, there were some things that we were doing in there that were a little difficult, and the camera was might have been on me a little bit. I don't know if you've seen this video or not. I, I don't know not. if they even aired it. But there's one part, man, where I had to go in a child's pose because I, I couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, and trust me, the last thing I want to do is be on camera in this class for Action News Jacks, because they don't know it's me even, I think, being on camera in this class and then, you know, for millions of people to see when they watch TV. So hopefully that didn't really air because – the last thing I want is like another one of those. Uh, remember Derek Harvey when he was doing the whole nunchucks things and everybody yeah, fired yeah, him for yeah. that? Whatever. I don't want one of those things to happen again. Well, uh, I'm going to go find that video later today, maybe <laughs> during the next break. I'm going to be honest. I'm really upset you didn't say you're the TJ McConnell of yoga. You Knows know, his role. <sighs> It's a good point, Keys. I see. Like, I guess 2020 is trying to try to be TJ McConnell free for me. That, yeah. That's like my only resolution. But I, I guess we broke that already. Stat Day sheet two. stuffer. <laughs> Stat sheet stuffer. TJ. The last McConnell. ten games, averaging seven points and at least seven uh, assists. Oh, hold the phone. He said that with like. We got an all star on our hands. In 19 minutes again, I'm telling you. We got an all star on our hands. Just wait till Old Depot hey, comes back. Hey, if we back. got Taco hey. Fall and Alex Caruso making the All Star game, we'll wait till Old Depot comes back and starts running that He's team again. He's coming back soon. And yeah, wait till yeah. he comes back and be like TJ. We'll yeah. see. We'll see at the bench. You know what's funny about uh, T- uh, Kuz there? He what's said that? that TJ McConnell stat sheet with like a confidence. 
pause. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait for this, everybody. Check it's this happening. news out. Seven Check this out. freaking points. But just wait. There's more. Seven assists. Very <laughs> I think impressed. Like four rebounds. He I'm had not that sure one game. Remember that one game when you did the box yeah. score, right? It was like yeah. 16 points or something like Played that. Played out of his mind. Yeah. He was unconscious. How did you say Taco Fall is... is, is there's he a, there's a whole situation going on. Him and Alex Caruso are apparently like in the runnings to make the All-Star game because, you know, it's fan-voted. Yeah. And Taco Fall is a huge... Just Taco Fall is the number right one now. trending it's topic on Twitter right now. So it's, it's crazy. So is Caruso, and, and Caruso's got a little bit of plug because he's kind of balding. He's on the Lakers, and Rihanna made a face at him once, and everyone thinks Rihanna loves him no, now. Caruso Ooh. looks like the guy a teacher. painting in my <laughs> neighborhood right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no offense to the guy painting. No, you look great, but you just don't look like you could play in the NBA, all right? We'll allow that. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah. How does that guy end up in the NBA? I don't know, man. What is this? I don't watch the Lakers enough, and, I, and when I do, I watch Anthony Davis and LeBron James, and that's about it. Yeah. yeah. But why has he made it? Like, why is he so... He's a hustler, what, man. What's his like, skill he, set? He's a, good, he's a decent shooter, a good shooter. I'll give him that. And, and so he kind of made a name on... For himself off that and he's just got like he's that hustler he's got that passion so like when you know you got lebron you got ad doing their thing he's out there you need the dirty guy yeah yeah, yeah, yeah go real, willing to do it but like taco falls seven foot seven yes so i enter a seven six or seven seven right i think he's seven yeah. seven yeah 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 so i he understand without jumping is what I listen <laughs> he might not be able to walk and chew gum yeah. but he's gonna get a shot in the nba yeah. i get it but Caruso, like, how tall is Caruso? Because in the NBA, everybody six looks five. like they're six feet because yeah. the big guys are so big. Of course. So Caruso's he's six, six five. five. Yeah. Okay. But, but that's like average in the NBA. You know what, Brent? Every Actually, that single, might be below average. Every single team needs that hunter Renfro kind of guy, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you, well, you, you, yeah. you just need that. Yeah. You just need that type of guy, man. I'm not trying to be racist or anything, but you need that white dude who's balding. Is just like, did you actually play sports or what, what's the deal here? But you know what? The guy balls out. You got to respect it. That is a little reverse racism there. But so, uh, yeah. well, hey, he, uh, <laughs> what do you say? Caruso is eighth in the West among guards, and Taco Fall is sixth in the East for the front court in voting. That's fantastic. But I think we should, you're right, every team should have yeah. like a Caruso, yeah. right? Or, or that's, uh, your Renfro is a great example. Yeah. Maybe it's TJ McConnell. Sure. Like, who's the Jags? Hunter I was Renfro? just going to, oh man. I was going to bring that Did question up. Is it, is it, like, to me, I don't know. And, What's and, why is they it, win a lot of games this Is year? it Wingard? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the hair, though. The hair puts them on another echelon. It, it puts you know? them in a different kind yeah. of category, right? See, yeah. like, to me, I was going to say Davis. Lambeau just because of the passion. Oh, don't, and he's consistent. Don't do you that can, to Josh Lambeau, man. You can bank yeah, on him. But all dude's kickers, stylish, but man. All, yeah, but all kickers are, like, white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, dude, but dude's rocking a fedora, man. Like, Hunter Renfro's not rocking, like, these, you know, these tailored three-piece suits and a fedora. All right? That's not Hunter Renfro's MO. I feel like. No. I could be wrong. But you're also, yeah, I mean, it's the look along with the position he plays and the production, too. I mean, he he deserves to be there. He's earned every bit of being there. In fact, they were very good when they had him. And when they lost on a Renfro, the Raiders kind of went, that's when they started to tank a little bit. I'm not saying he was the only difference, but um, who would that guy be? Cody Davis. I mean, he's a special teams guy. I don't feel like. Be Minchu? I mean, if. Well, you know what? It's not a bad. You know what? It's not a bad. It might be, right? Because he's got that, like, look. Yeah. So it's my, because Michael Walker, if he didn't fumble every time he kicked, returned a kick, yeah. he might fit the bill. Like yeah, if he actually sure. was productive. Yeah. 
But that doesn't fit the bill. He's not productive enough. No, for sure. You know, Minshew might be the guy. Well, especially, like, hey, I'm not trying to hit on his style at all. But, you know, like, when he tucks in, like, the dress shirt and everything, he looks like the coolest substitute teacher of all time. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, Minshew's here today? Like, yeah, class is going to be awesome. Like, he looks like a cool dude. So, you know what, Coos? Good call. I think Gardner Minshew is the is the Hunter Renfro of the Jaguars. That is a really good call. And, you know, it. I wonder that sometimes because you're around these guys so much. You want sometimes I'll I'll do this thing where, it, what if they weren't good at football? Mm-hmm. Like and sometimes you'll find people like that guy would be the biggest dork ever <laughs> if he wasn't good at football. Like I'll say that and I won't tell you who. Like I'll say that about yeah, it might yeah, not yeah. be the Jags, but I'm just saying it might be in general like superstar people. Yep. But if they weren't good at sports, you'd be like, this guy. I mean, who's going to even go on a lunch with the guy? Absolutely. You know. So. Um, <laughs> But like I don't think I see I don't think Minshew fits there. Like Minshew's the no, guy who's getting along with very everybody. Very intriguing, yeah, yeah. I mean Minshew looks like he's going to chop down a tree one day, yeah. Going fish the other day, yeah. He's RV in a course, yeah. But he looks like he could he, he could be the science teacher guy yeah. at, at times, a substitute like, guy, like the last resort substitute teacher yeah. kind of guy. Like we when you got to throw hail mary, the teacher got sick at last second, they got mono. We need someone to come in, call Gardner Minshew to teach third grade history. Like kind of like the. Uh, was the show that you told me to watch on my way to Oakland, and I oh, did. Oh, did you watch it? I did. He's down and down? What do you think? Pretty good, right? Yeah, it's kind of. I almost flipped it off like a bunch of times, but oh, then yeah, it kept me going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of inappropriate things. I don't in mind it. the inappropriate okay, nature. I got you. Well, but I, I was you. on the edge of like, all right, this is so stupid. <laughs> and then yeah. I was like, okay, it's kind of funny, though. Yeah, yeah. You know? Okay. <laughs> but he's the gym teacher. Uh, is that Minshew? The gym Kenny Powers, <laughs> man. He is Kenny Powers. <laughs> Ten years from now, who knows what Mitch is going to be, but I'm saying if he's out of the league and he's bitter about it, maybe he pulls a Kenny Powers, teaches some gym class, and unfortunately gets back on the steroids, gets on steroids, and then tries to make a comeback. We'll see. I'm not totally, saying Gardner Minshew does totally that. Totally like defamation of Gardner Minshew right now. I'm just saying that's what Kenny Powers did. I'm just saying that's what Kenny Powers did. Brent went to his hometown. He knows what's up. Yeah. But um, real but quick, to though, that point, real uh, one yeah, more okay. thing on that. He will be the guy. No matter how famous or, or whatever he's got going on, I think that does end up back in his hometown. Yeah. Like coaching high school football or like I think that's oh, what he wants to do. He's going to have like billboards every – I mean, it's just – it is what it is, But man. he's that guy that yeah. will – but he'll be like that hometown guy yeah. that goes back. I think like genuinely that's what he wants to do. Yeah. Now, does something else set him on a career path these days? Like, you know, the media, if you end up on TV or on the radio or, yeah. or something like that, these guys all – um, have that opportunity potentially to do. But yeah. to me, there's no doubt we're going back to Brandon yeah. 10, 15 years, 20 years down the line, and I'm going to do a story on what Gardner Minshew's doing oh, now in Brandon, Oh, but of course, he's going to own, like, probably 17 Toyota dealerships. Like, <laughs> yes, you know that's, that's what's it. up, man. Like, right. he's going to be doing these cheesy commercials, <laughs> but he's going to be just getting Toyotas off the lot. Like, that's, that's I mean, that's already written in history. That's a good know? point. Like, I mean, I'm not sure how long football is going to last, but the car dealership game, he's already got it on lockdown. He is that, so he's really Will Ferrell. He's, in he's the, the in Will Ferrell, the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ashley for BMW. Uh, but Anyways, how's your New Year's, man? That's I think you had off, right? Yeah, yeah, it was off New Year's Day. I mean, after all the stuff with the show, I, mean, yeah. I was off that night. So it was, it was nice, uh, a little 36-hour reprieve. Cool. It was great. Didn't really do much, to be okay. honest with you. Can't... Uh, Drove like an hour to get Mr. Chubby's wings yesterday. And there we about go. 150 of them, so I've been eating those nonstop. <laughs> Healthy. Um, 
But yeah, you know what else? As you brought it up, you didn't have the hangover on Wednesday. Yeah, I might have actually drank a little bit more than I normally do. Okay, and, Brent, and didn't either. Okay, Brent. So I, sometimes I impress myself. Well, here's the thing, though: is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because maybe your body is used to taking in a lot of toxins no, and bad stuff right now, where it's like, oh, well, a couple drinks. Nah, it's not a big deal. Well, I probably had like I didn't have like this uh, crazy amount, but definitely yeah. more than I normally would consume okay. in an evening, and. Felt nothing the next morning. Good for you, man. So some, that's I'm, I'm like I try to tell you, man. I'm a lot tougher than I look. Still got it. You still got it. A lot tougher than I look. <laughs> uh, now the Jags are going to be tough enough. Uh, we're going to try to you know, put a little bow on the Jags. We've spent so much time talking Jaguars. Uh, there's nothing to really advance in terms of the Tuesday story, sure. Uh, which we talked about at length <laughs> and had a had a bonus hour for I it. I went nuts, fact. Brent. I you was did? cried. I felt like, yeah, uh, but emotional. Uh, but a little bit of a, okay, now that it's settled down, now that it's reality, uh, what does it look like going forward? Just maybe a couple of bullet points on mm-hmm. the on the conversations that we've really been having for a long time, but especially the last five or six weeks as we knew this season was was not going to pan out like the Jaguars had hoped. want to get a little bit of college football in, not like uh, deep diving. But just a thought or two about the bowl season and everybody's mm-hmm. kind of wrapped up. I thought it was an impressive performance from Georgia. Uh, there was a topic over the weekend last weekend in the college football semifinals that I've never even uh, got to. I did on social media, but not here. And I want to get your thoughts on it. Cool. Uh, it has to do with targeting. Okay. Um, and uh, and then what else uh, as we begin the new year and the NFL playoffs now as it, we flip to this weekend – Really a lot of good games. A lot of good games uh, going on. And I think you could pick as many as eight Super Bowl champs. I'd like to know what you really think. Genuinely, obviously you could pick 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I want to know, who, how many do you think genuinely out of the 12 teams that you would maybe even put a put a little bet on mm-hmm. to say, you know what? That would be worth the odds mm-hmm. to, to, to make a play at. So uh, we've got that coming up uh, here on a Thursday edition in the new year. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN at 690. Thanks for hanging out with us. Jump in the conversation. Star Star 690-904-362-9901. We'll be right back on ESPN 690. Um, most important thing right now is, you know, just finishing today strong, um, getting getting home and sort of uh, getting away for a little bit, t- taking time to breathe. It's been a lot that's happened this year. Um, so that's, that's the most important thing. That way I can think clearly. I know that, you know, going to be working hard, preparing. I know what I can do on the field. I've shown what I can do on the field. Um, you know, that, that's the big thing. But the most important thing right now is to take a step back and take a breath and just see what I've learned this year. Hasn't been an easy year, or it wasn't an easy year, for Nick Foles. Uh, 2019, probably one uh, of the wildest uh, roller coaster seasons you could have. I mean, just think about the feelings, and, and I don't even want to think like Nick Foles. I don't even know how to do that, but I'm just saying anybody, think about your feelings of signing an $88 million jackpot lottery ticket uh, and then becoming the franchise quarterback really at a time you, you might never have thought that would end up happening ever again in your career. Starting fresh, starting new, doing all the things right to build that in the spring and in August and really not doing any kind of interviews, not trying to be distracted at all, just making yourself part of the fabric of that building, locker room, all those things. And then 10 plays in, bam, it's over for two months. And essentially it it was over because it it never really got back on track. Mm -hmm. And now you sit here and wonder if you even have a chance to be the guy, even with your resume and the dollars that are accounted to you for 2020, 
I don't believe he is the guy in 2020. Yeah. I think this organization is looking at Gardner Minshew as the guy, and at least he'll go into it saying, hey, I, I can beat that guy out. I'm going to be the – that's okay from a competitive standpoint. But the curiosity is now he might never get that job fully back. Uh, you know, we might have our own little Wally Pip. Yeah, here in Jacksonville, really, when it comes to Nick Foles and Gardner Minshew. And listen, when you're talking about Nick Foles, you have to ask yourself, where's the ceiling at and where's the floor at? And I think we have a pretty good idea of what Nick Foles brings to the table, right? Because the sample size, while it was small this year, we've had seasons uh, with the Rams. We've had seasons, obviously, with the Eagles. Um you know, he had two cents with the Eagles, actually. So we have that to go off of. And I get it. That one year with Chip Kelly, that offense, he, he put up a Pro Bowl um, type of resume. And I understand that. One could be said that that was a lot more of Chip Kelly's offense being innovative than it was actually Nick Foles. Because if you remember the following year, if you thought that Nick Foles was the guy in Philly, well, Chip Kelly didn't even think that. His own coach didn't even think that because he traded him for Sam Bradford. Now, how did that work out? Not too well. With Gardner Minshew, on the other hand, I say it all the time on the show, Brent. When you're talking about a rookie going to a second year, that's where you make the biggest jump, okay, at any single position. Because now you, you get acquainted with the NFL. You know what it takes. Um, you're used to going to the locker room every single day, working with people. So from that perspective, you got to like Gardner Minshew's chances of beating Nick Foles out in training camp just because Minshew's going to be used to this now. He, he came into this thing as a rookie not knowing what to expect. He, he understands now that, listen, I'm probably the man going forward. This is my job to lose. And if anything that you know, Gardner Mitchell has showed so far, it's the fact that he's mentally tough and up to the challenge. Yeah, it's a fascinating point because, I, you know, when you say stuff like that, I go back to my visit sincerely yeah. in Brandon, Mississippi, and had several people tell me, you know, because we knew what it was, right? Gardner Minshew was filling in at the time for Nick Foles, and then all likelihood Nick Foles was going to come back. There was debate whether it would be Minshew or, or Foles, and he could hold them off. But I think the feeling, at least where it started, the default was, well, Foles didn't lose his job for the year. He'll be back at some point. And the the feeling, at least in, in Gardner's hometown with people that knew him best, was like, look out, because yeah. once Gardner starts competing with you, it ain't easy to get your job back. You know, so that not only now carries from what we just saw the last couple of months, but also into 2020. And there'll be a better head start for Minshew on what to expect. You know, what what he has done, uh, a little resume of his own, you know, yeah. because, you know, from a in the player standpoint and not that they have a say necessarily what goes on here. But, you know, I think Nick Foles very well respected because he's held that Lombardi trophy. He's done it in the NFL for seven, eight years, even with the good and the bad. That's there's a respect level about that. That, again, even if folks will say and they get mad when you say Super Bowl MVP and Super Bowl winning quarterback, it's the ultimate respect in a locker room that you've won one and you are part of one, no matter your role. And he had a pretty big role. So at least now Gardner has a little bit more footing in that locker room because they've also seen him yes. come from behind in Oakland, come from behind in Denver, do some pretty cool things as well, see a, his celebrity rise, and there's some believability now in it too. So I just think even the dynamic amongst players and teammates looking at both these guys, and my guess is from a uh, politically correct point of view, most of them would be like, hey, man, we could ride with either one. Uh, we, we like both of them. We feel like we can do good things with both of them. But the reality is, I think there's momentum for Gardner Minshew, uh, even with the resume of Nick Foles. And that's got me almost thinking to the point, where is Foles going to be mentally when he does get away from it, comes back and starts diving into it? Would he even 
in his camp tell some folks and say, can you get me out of Jacksonville? Yeah. Would he even go that far to say, get me out of here if you can? I know I've got a big contract. I know it might be tough, but hey, agent, uh, this might not be the best place for us right now. And I think if you're talking about Nick Foles, Brent, the deck is stacked against him because it was interesting to watch Gardner Minshew when he first came in for Foles after Kansas City in that press conference and just hearing what he said, you know, it was like, you know, I'm just kind of holding on the fort till Nick Foles comes back, right? Well, then Nick Foles gets benched again. Minshew comes back in. And then watch how his demeanor changed. Watch how Minshew started to get a little more swagger about him, a little more confidence. I don't want to say arrogance. I'm going to say confidence about him. And you saw that, you know, reach its head point, reach its peak during the exit interviews when everyone's asking, like, hey, so compared to the rookies, you know, you're, you're so, so he's like, well, I was the best one. You know, like, it was at that moment where he's like, this is my team now. You know, like, I held the fort down for Nick Foles to come back. He didn't take the job. He didn't take the reins. I came back in, and this is my team now. And I think that's how Garner Minshew is going to approach this offseason and then obviously approach it coming back to OTAs. We're like, this is my team now. You know, like, I respect Nick Foles. He may have taught me some things, but this is my team. And on the other standpoint with Nick Foles, you got to wonder how is he going to change up his style now? Because we talked about Nick Foles coming in here, Brent, and you mentioned it, the Super Bowl MVP, right? When you come into a new team, the team immediately gravitates towards that because – you have nothing left to gravitate towards. Like, number one, he's the quarterback. Number two, he won a Super Bowl. Why wouldn't you kind of lean on that guy a little bit? Why wouldn't you pick that guy's brain? And why wouldn't you follow him through the battlefields? Because he is conditioned. He has been there before. We saw it with Malik Jackson and we exactly. saw it with Calais Campbell a little bit, even though he didn't win one, he had been to one. Correct. Exactly. But then when things start going awry, you know, and, and when things start, you know, going in the losing favor, well, then that, that Super Bowl MVP. It doesn't mean anything anymore because at the end of the day, it's what can you do for me now? What have you done for me lately? And Nick Foles hasn't done that much for the Jaguars lately. And I think we were talking about Nick Foles. Remember, this past offseason, he didn't throw at anybody. Remember, he came in and said, you know what? I didn't really throw a football at all uh, during the offseason. I kind of took a little break yeah. and then came in OTAs and get the timing down. To me, that's crazy. To me, that's a guy who thought he had it made. To me, that's a guy that was like, you know what? I'm the $88 million man. I'm all good because you got to think if you're coming to a new team, why would you not at least try to build some rapport, you know, in OTA before OTAs, like at least learn people's names, learn people's personalities. Don't wait till you get to the stadium to learn that. And I get it. I'm not a quarterback. Maybe I'm speaking out of line here, but I'm just thinking. I think Nick Foles winning this season, obviously thinking he's going to be the man. And I'm curious to see how he's going to handle this up and coming season, knowing now that he's got the deck stacked against him. Well, and, and that point, I mean, I could play devil's advocate and say, listen, Blake Bortles did that every year, and and it didn't really materialize in anything. And but, maybe but, Foles learned over Blake the time. Going to California though, and play, like was thrown to some guys yeah, as well. That's, no, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like okay. he did that every year. Yeah. He threw to guys. Okay, a lot, I got and you. it didn't materialize. Sure. So maybe each has its own method. I, I, yeah. I don't know if I don't know the list of quarterbacks that has have and have not, sure. and what their results have been. But um, for whatever reason, Nick Foles yeah. did not. I'll get back to Foles in a second. But you, you had a great thought on the look where Gardner has come from. And uh, maybe even give me a little bit of a TV idea. Thanks for helping me produce. You're welcome. But, uh, I, I talked to uh, Gardner Minshew after, I want to say, I think I missed the last preseason game. So it was after one of the preseason games, I was doing sidelines. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking him something to the effect of, like, hey, this could be it. This is your your last time, right? And he's like, well, yeah, hopefully you don't see me. He essentially said, yeah, I hopefully you that. don't see me again exactly. because Nick's winning football games and staying healthy, and, and I'm just here to learn. Sure. That's where he was. Yes. I mean, he almost said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, mm -hmm. but he basically said, yeah, hopefully you don't see me again. This mm -hmm. is it. And now to I was going to refer to the exact same quote when I asked him about those other rookies. 
he essentially said, I'm better than those guys. Mm-hmm. And, and, he, and he did say, I, I'm going to be a great quarterback in this league. Mm-hmm. So what he proved to himself this year, and I'm not sure, I'm not saying in, in August he wouldn't have said, I'm going to be a great quarterback in this league someday. He just didn't know it was going to materialize that fast to kind yeah. of give him evidence that he can play in this league and can be very good. So I think you're spot on there in terms of how he shifted and how he's now going from saying, yeah, I mean, I'm just part of this quarterback room and part of this team. If you need me, I'm here for you. Yeah. To saying this is my team and I'm going to take these guys to where we need to go. And you said the most important thing. He proved it to himself. He, he didn't have the media. He didn't have us talking about him saying, oh, yeah, Garner Minshew looks pretty promising, man. He's got some good plays here, some good plays there. He could be the future down the road. It doesn't matter what we say. And if he hears that, more power to him. But it matters what he thinks. And, and you saw that transition. But once he got the confidence and understood, you know what, this is my team now, once you make that next step being a rookie knowing it's your team, the sky's the limit. Because the biggest thing is the mental gap, I feel like. Yeah, uh- I've asked that question to just about every rookie and young player that's come in here in the last 12 years and and beyond, really, when I've covered the NFL for 20 years. And to be honest with you, it never really gets a great answer. Sure. But I actually believe it's a truth thing. Mm -hmm. I think when you jump from college football to the NFL, and maybe when you jump from high school to college, whether you know it or not, there's a subconscious thing of, do I really belong here? Like, this yeah. is the cream of the crop. You know, I'm sure you had to ask yourself that. Absolutely. And, and coming from Murray State, be yeah. like, can I play at this level? Absolutely. Like, and, and a great example of it, Gardner Minshew proved that he can. He won six games. Quincy Williams, I'm not sure, has proven he can. And he might still be wondering that a little bit. He might be like, you know what, I can do it, but I've got to fix this and this. And it might take until sometime next year for him to actually do it on a consistent basis to believe it. Correct. So I do think it, there is, like, this test internally whether you want to admit it or not mm-hmm. they say i belong or not hey more nick Foles. i got another thought on that real quick uh will he ask out of jacksonville eventually should he and a mistake i thought Foles made in the offseason and it had nothing to do with throwing a football that's coming up next on espn 690 the thing i realized about the you know super bowl year was if i didn't have that year in st louis um it would have you know i don't know if i'd have been able to handle everything that came with me this year's probably been 10 times as hard as st louis um, so the magnitude of growth and learning from this year is way more than that. Um, but I'm in it right now, so it's hard to hard to see everything. So I'll be able to see everything, you know, probably months down the road. It'll be revealed to, revealed to me at the right time, and you know that'll be a beautiful. Thing. Well, that's Nick Foles uh, on Monday talking about things, and I think in a better place than he was a few weeks ago, trying to understand and comprehend all this. Uh, what happened again? It's a tough spot, man. I think there's been a lot of. Uh, negative things about Nick Foles and and kind of attacks on him. I think he's a good good dude. Um, he's obviously you know at at peace at who he is and how he thinks and and how he plays and and all those things, which is kind of a cool place to be. I I believe uh, or you know everybody seemingly trying to find themselves uh, you know day in day out year in year out and and he is comfortable in in, in his own skin. Not many different. Then Gardner Minshew and what we applaud Gardner Minshew for being comfortable in his own skin. Correct. I think we've talked about that before, yeah. but it's just not as well received sometimes in a losing way, and and mm-hmm. uh, especially in this city where there's been so much losing going on. So I think he's gotten a lot of negative play, and probably so much so and too much so. But it brings me to a point where I have said this again more in private to people about the Nick Foles situation, and it. I don't want to be hypocritical here because I get what he was doing. But in hindsight, it was the wrong way to do it. And here's what I'm getting at. When he got here, 
And he was introduced, and, you know, shoot, we had Sky Action News Jacks flying over. That's how big of a signing it was, <laughs> yeah. believe it or not. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so he gets here, and then he goes away, and then they come back for OTAs, and he does all those things. You know, he does his media once a week at the podium, and, and he's fantastic. But what happens in these situations when you get a new person, uh, a new player, a big player like this, a new coach, whatever happens, you try to get, like, a sit-down interview with him. You try to get a one-on-one with him. Um, and... He told basically the the PR staff and everybody. He's like, listen, I don't want to do any of that right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to, I want to, I don't want my teammates to look at me. This is what I think he said. I don't know exactly what he said. I don't want my teammates to look at me and say, look at that guy starving for attention, getting all the attention. He's yeah. the guy on this pedestal. I just want to be one of the guys, essentially. You know. Um, and I think there are a lot of probably quarterbacks that do that. I, I bet Tom Brady has a hard time doing that in New England, but tries to make him everybody feel like he's one of the guys, even though he's like this god sure. of football. Yeah. You know, yeah. think about a young guy going into that locker room. Mm-hmm. Well, coming in, Nick Foles, he wasn't Tom Brady, but he had the resume, the Super Bowl ring. He got paid all this money. And so naturally, everybody in town was like, whoa, that's Nick Foles. And I think he tried to avoid that is what I'm getting at. And he tried to he didn't do national interviews, local interviews, anything. This is not me, by the way. Like, why didn't you do an interview with me, Nick? That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I think this was a, a a strategy by him to say, I just want to be one of the guys and I don't want this to be about me. That's it. Yeah. And And so. That's fine. I actually I respect that, um, and that's okay. And he was what I really respected about it was he not only did that to us, but he did it to the national, national. guys. Mm-hmm. You know, so I really uh, ex- respect the fact that he did that. Well, I think that as I thought about this a little bit more, especially after everything that he said in front of a podium and it wasn't re- being received very well, mm-hmm. I think that was a big mistake. And here's what I mean by it: I think. We uh, Nick Foles has now been here in Jacksonville since March, mm-hmm. and I got to be honest with you, I don't know Nick Foles any different than I know some guy I walk in and, and meet at the super, supermarket. Sure, I really don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I know his resume, I know what he's done, I know he's a football player, all this, but I can't tell you much about him. Sure, and therefore because he doesn't have any of those intimate relationships, conversations, maybe even with the media. Well, therefore, the fans don't feel that. Again, this isn't about me, but we relay that. Mm -hmm. You know, if I sit down, I just did a sit down with Calais Campbell. If you watch that tonight on Jaguars All Access, or if you watch it in its entirety on the Internet or whatever on this weekend when we throw it up there, I think you get this vibe from Calais Campbell, even if you've never seen him, met him before, and he had never played it down in Jacksonville. But you get this feel about a guy. Well, we have not seen that. We haven't seen him sitting around down with Phil Sims. We haven't seen him sitting down with any of us here locally to get that feel of Nick Foles. Mm-hmm. And I think there, therefore, there's been like this almost barrier up, and the fan feels the same way. I don't have a relationship with a guy. I saw him play three series in the preseason, and I saw him play ten snaps in the first game, and that's it. Yeah, that's all I got in a Jags uniform. I don't even have like this great sound, but I will say the one moment he had is Tom Coughlin, Jay Fun when he's carrying yeah, uh, the little yeah, girl. That was, cool. that was a great moment for him. Yep. But we don't. That's it. That's yeah. all we have in Nick Foles, and still here we are as we flip to 2020, and that's still all we have of Nick Foles, other than two other bad performances, really three, and these news conferences that sounded like he was tone deaf almost mm-hmm. because Jacksonville's lost for a decade, and he wants everybody to be patient. Yeah. So I just don't think he got any benefit of the doubt 
because he wasn't doing any of this. And now I want you to juxtapose that with what Minshew was doing. Sure. And I don't think this was a tactical thing. I think this was just Minshew trying to capitalize on the moment. Mm -hmm. But he's doing shows and he's doing Uncle Rico and he's doing all this stuff. And we all feel like we've known Gardner Minshew for 20 years yeah. here in Jacksonville, even though he's been here months. Yeah. So I think that hurt Foles at the end of the day. Um, I, I, I just feel like if, if I would if I would tell him to do it all over again, I would say, man, that's awesome you're doing that for your teammates. Well, but you might want everybody in town to get to know you, too. And exactly. therefore, you get a little if you like somebody and you feel like you know somebody, you're sure as hell willing to defend them a little bit more. And I don't think this fan base was willing to defend Nick Foles because they don't feel like they know him at all. So when Nick Foles did come into town. And he was very adamant that he didn't want to do any kind of media. He didn't really want to display his personality, what he was all about. Because like you said, Brent, maybe he wanted to earn the respect of his teammates. But at the same time, I'm here to tell you, I don't think his teammates really care. Because when we talk about you know, an NFL locker room, it's made up of prima donnas and egos. You know, like you have Jalen Ramsey driving in a Brinks truck. Like the, 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 there's, there's media attention guys every, like everywhere. So... Nick Foles not, you know, coming out and doing the media, maybe it was for his teammates, maybe it was just for his own psyche where he's like, listen, I'm coming into a new situation, a new culture, a new city. The last thing I need is more distractions, more energy to spend on things that aren't related to football. Maybe that's it. I have a hard time believing he did it for his teammates, but who knows? I'm not Nick Foles. But at the same time, think of it like a movie trailer, okay? Like, when a movie trailer comes out, what do you say? That looks good. That looks bad. Now, if you don't watch a movie trailer and, like, Nick Foles didn't put out a, quote-unquote, movie trailer, well, then you go off by word of opinion, right? You go off by saying, man, this movie was good. you got to check this out. Have you seen the trailer? No, I haven't. But you know what? Your word says it's a good movie. I might go to the theater and watch that movie. Well, with Nick Foles, it was a horrible season for him, a horrible season for the Jaguars. So now we're stuck holding a ticket for a movie that we don't really want to see because we haven't seen a trailer. We don't know what it's all about, but all we know is it's bad. And that's where Nick Foles comes in. I think at the end of the day, the moral of the story is sit down with Brent Martineau to do a one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of that, you, you have one with Calais coming on. I see pretty I soon, right? Uh, we do have one with Calais coming yeah. on. But uh, listen, I, I, I don't want that to come off this whole thing that I just said yeah. as – Oh, yeah, Brent's pissed he didn't get the one-on-one -on -one with uh, Nick Foles. No, that's not the... Uh, but doesn't, this is a fan thing, though, Brent, this is, yeah. This is where we do come in handy a little bit. As We can be that liaison and kind of introduce you to a player. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that work with Calais Campbell. Yep. Now, this town loves Calais Campbell because... He's a good football player, but they also know everything about Calais Campbell because the last few years, like on this TV show and, yeah. and, and how available he is, they feel like they know him. Yeah. Now, that takes longer time. I'm not saying Nick Foles would have become that right away, but we don't even have anything to go on with Nick Foles, and he has been in town for nine months. And let's be fair, Brent, the quarterback position, it's the ultimate double standard, right? Like maybe Calais is kind of the low-key kind of guy, but all eyes are always on the quarterback, and you have to cater to those eyes a little bit. Listen, I learned that firsthand. My, my second year with Blaine Gabbert. I went to the beach bars twice with Blaine Gabbert. I never went again. Do you know why? Because I'm more the guy who wants to sit in the corner and just kind of mind my own business. When Blaine Gabbert's out there, everyone wants to come get his picture. Everyone wants to come get his autograph. Because you know why? You're the quarterback, man. It is the double standard and you have to act accordingly. Uh, that's the other reason we don't go out to the bars together. What, with Blaine Gabbert or myself? No, just you and me. Oh, I sit in the corner. What's wrong with that? We would, well, we wouldn't be able to sit in the corner. I mean, oh, everybody okay. comes up to me. I'm just trying to tell you. <laughs> Listen, I, 
Truth be told, I was at Sawgrass, and like Brett Martineau was like the Blaine Gabbert of of Ritz Beach Bars uh, at Sawgrass. I just do saying. never, ever again want to be compared to Blaine Gabbert. Okay, well, you just That's hey, it. 2020 off to a bad start. One and done. <laughs> We're back on McConnell, the Blaine Gabbert. Woof. My last warm-up in San Diego was week four in preseason. We were in San Francisco, and I told the then assistant special teams coach, I said, I figured it out. I figured it out. I'm not going to miss anymore. I've missed four times in three seasons. I mean, I don't think there's anybody better than that right now. So a lot of it is is Doug um, bringing me in, giving me a shot, and say, hey, go make it. And having that confidence in me. Uh, Joe D. Uh, D. Camillus has been just a saint for me. Um, you know, he kicks my butt when he needs to, and he, you know, encourages me when he needs to. I don't think he's ever praised me, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, that's Josh Lambeau. What a season. Hey, Kuz, do you have more of the Lambeau stuff cut up? Uh, I didn't ask you for this. Uh, but there's a little bit more of that interview, and even if he, it takes a few minutes, let me know if you get it, because he talks about signing the contract. I asked him about the contract, and is really interesting. <laughs> like, I don't think he was meaning to throw anybody under the bus, <laughs> but he absolutely threw um, Elliot, Jake Elliott, it yeah, is, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. He, threw, he totally throws him under the bus uh, in the comments, but uh, uh, hopefully we'll get to it in a little bit. Either way, Lambeau... I mean, what a year, man. I mean, this guy, he said he found something. He wasn't going to give away his trade secrets at what he found. Sure. But that was astonishing. You know, he got let, he basically got let go, kicked to the curb mm. by San Diego. He comes here and he has been so, so good. He, I think he said he's missed four total kicks since leaving San Diego. So he found something in his game and mm. they should have held on to him a little bit longer. But it, it happens sometimes with kickers. I mean, Jason Myers left here and I'm not saying he's, Adam Vinatieri, but he did go to a Pro Bowl with the Jets, and he's kicking, I think, still with Seattle. Mm -hmm. And now he's in the playoffs, and I think he's made some big kicks. I think he's still with Seattle, right? I'm not mistaken on that. Yes, yep. So, um, but Lambeau, I guess the only thing that you could even question about Josh Lambeau from a kicking standpoint is how would he be or will he be when it's clutch time? Sure. And again, he won in Denver in the clutch, but I'm talking consistently. This team hasn't put him in enough positions to be super clutch and in a late December game from 48 yards out. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's fair to ask that and wonder that because we really haven't needed that out of Josh Lambeau. But the numbers are absolutely ridiculous. They're asinine, in fact, how good they are. Yeah. <laughs> you don't usually use that word asinine in that kind of context, but it's unbelievable how good he is and has been, uh, even from over 50 yards. It hasn't missed at home, and he should be in the Pro Bowl, and he should be an all-pro. Absolutely. He really should. He's better it's, than Justin Tucker. He, gave, he said, Did he just say that right there? But he says that in our interview. Like, Justin T- Tucker's one of the best of all time. Yeah. But basically, I was better than him this year. Listen, uh, I think a guy that we haven't really given a lot of credit to this season just because it has been so abysmal, but Joe DiCamillis, um, you know, one could wonder if that he had a, a great effect on Josh Lambeau because it's funny hearing Josh Lambeau speak about Joe DiCamillis. And um, I had Joe D actually in Chicago a little bit. I played on special teams, so I, I kind of know his style a little bit and there's always a philosophy that coaches try to you know convey to their players where you're not as good as you think you are but you're not as bad as you think you are as well well joe d camilla's goes with exhibit a and not b where he says you're not as good as you think you are and that's it you know like he's definitely a tough as nails an old school type of special teams coach and usually special teams coach brian which i'm sure you've been around a couple you know they're a little more laid back right i mean they're they're the players coaches they're fun to talk to <laughs> jody camilla's and listen i love the guy to death man but he is not one of those people 
So from that perspective, it's funny hearing Lambo talk about it. And I wonder, you know, if maybe just kind of that change of scene a little bit, getting a coach who holds you a little more accountable, maybe calls you out a little more, if that had the desired effect on Josh Lambo. Yeah, I mean, something clicked, yeah. right? Something worked, and, and then he signs the extension. And I thought that was the cool part of it. And it kind of hit me when I was interviewing him Sunday night after the game that – Wow, this guy did just sign a contract, and he's and he's having his best year all time. I mean, how often does that happen? Well, a lot of guys sign the contract and then, meh. Or <laughs> some time. guys do yeah. sign a contract and still do very well. It's it's not we hear about the ones that sign the contract and then it's just eh. Yeah. But at every position, a lot of guys sign a big contract and then live up to it. I mean, mm-hmm. how many contracts has Tom Brady signed and Drew Brees signed and Aaron Rodgers signed and you know they live up to them. Sure. So I think a lot of guys do it. But not too many, I would gather, have their best year after they sign the contract in that next year. Mm-hmm. A lot of them do it beforehand. Like, look at Derrick Henry this year. Having his best year, he's going about to be a free agent. Yeah, That makes a little bit more sense, right? We see a lot of that all the time. Yeah. Career year, in your free agent year, go get the big money. Yeah. But I'd love to, again, I'm deep diving and doing this, but where's Stat Boy Ben, by the way? Is he with us Is in right, 2020? Ben? Did he make it to 2020? My goodness. Man. I mean, once the Nationals won the World Series, well, he disappeared. Was him in that basement? Because he was in the basement the whole time. I, <laughs> I don't I, I'm know. so convinced he was chained up against his will. But that's another story for another uh, day. Is, that was a little sidebar tangent right there. But <laughs> I, I would love to know, like, how many seriously play their best year after signing that extension? I mean, the one that sticks out to me that kind of said, I think that trend is Albert Hainsworth. You know, as soon as he got his money for the Redskins, it just went downhill. Downhill. Like, like yeah, the, the other worst way. day of the other way. So uh, it, it's an interesting question of how many guys actually, I guess, increase their level of play. I well, mean, you know what? And again, that we're not in a position right now. Uh, you get darts thrown at you right now if you applaud anything this organization has done. Correct. But that is a good move. Yeah. Signing him. And to be honest with you, I'll give you another guy that had a great year and maybe his best career year after signing a big deal. Now, this was coming over in free agency, but that's Calais. Yeah. I mean, Calais had a monster year. Like, he should have been or could have been, maybe would have been the player of the year defensively in the NFL. I forget who even won it in 17, but you could have made the case that he was. He was first-team All-Pro on the outside, second-team All-Pro on the inside, a Pro Bowl year. I mean, so actually, this organization in the last few years has seen that happen a couple of times with guys that they have signed. I think A.J. Boye is another one. He comes over in that free agency year, signs that big deal, and is an All-Pro. So uh, this organization, <laughs> I just gave you three examples of it happening. So maybe it does happen more than I think. Yeah. And, and you know, when we talk about Justin Tucker, listen, Justin Tucker from the Ravens, arguably, in my opinion, is the best kicker in the NFL right now, right? But we don't talk about him that much anymore just because there's so much happening in Baltimore. But I guarantee, and this is where Josh Lambeau comes in. He had one of the, you know, his best season, arguably, he's ever had. If you have a playoff team and you have that kicker at your disposal, Brent, that makes the world a difference. And that's why when we break down the teams later, who's going to go to the Super Bowl, obviously I like the Ravens a lot just because that kicker, yeah, sure, the Ravens are, are dominating teams by 20-some points a game. But when you get to the playoffs, when it, when they're nail biters, Brent, if, if it's bad weather, you need the dependable kicker to kind of put you over the top. And Josh Lambeau is that guy, I think, right now. But unfortunately, when you only win you know six something games a season, you're not going to the playoffs. Yeah, and so he's got you're a, not going to know. He's got a swag to him too. One thought about that coming up on the Chicago Bears. But first, before we do that, he's got a Lambeau has a swag to him. So listen to this. When asked about the contract extension, <laughs> what he has to say about it. You know, last year, if I was going to get an extension, it was either going to be in the off season or it was going to be after the season. I wasn't going to deal with it because there's just too many distractions. You get all the money and then the cars and the houses, and you you can't do it. I, I very firmly, or I mean, Jake Elliott got a 
a bunch of money, and then he's missing every game since he's gotten the contract, you know. So don't sign in the middle of the season. Do your job. Enjoy the offseason when it comes time. But until then, you gotta one, gotta go one for one every time. So to answer your question, yes, it's it's. I'm glad that I've been able to perform up to my contract because that that's a big deal. You know, when you get that big contract, you have a big old target on your back, and you know, hopefully that target's a little bit smaller now. Oh, that's hey, Josh Lambo. Hey, Jake Elliott, just let the dirt shower over you, man. Like <laughs> he didn't even use a shovel; he used like a like an entire just back hole and just moved right back and buried him. Come on, Lambo, what's up with that, man? I don't that's think a former he, kicker, brethren. Yeah, I don't know if he doesn't like Jake Elliott I or guess if it just kind of came out that way. Kicker drama, I like but it. But I remember talking to him on Sunday, and I was like. Did he just say that? Like, I don't go back and listen to that. Did he Dang. just say that? And he basically said, hey, he signed his big deal and missed every game since. Has, has there been a response from Jake Elliott yet? No, because this might be the first time it's been put out there. <laughs> People uh, know there's been Jake a lot of other is. stuff going yeah, on. Lambo sure. hasn't been high on the list you know, of quotes, I, I but that's a you. good quote. I mean, it was a great quote uh, from, from Josh <laughs> Lambo. Uh, one, one quick thought you just said about relying on. I, I still believe the kind of the cloud over Chicago from last year and how that carried into the offseason, the beginning of the season, where they were almost afraid to attempt to kick, helped derail their season. Yeah. So I do, like, at, oh. on a small level. I mean, it's bigger than that, but they Mitchell got in their own heads. Great yeah, uh, and I'll give that to you. Early in the year, they got off to a bad, they wouldn't even kick a 45-yard attempt with Pinedo or whoever yeah. else because they're afraid they might miss it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you yeah. don't have that here in Jacksonville, at least. Mitchell Trubisky, though, Brent, too. No, I know. Big, there were bigger big, reasons. Yeah. There were bigger yeah. reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they didn't help themselves, is my point. You're right. Hey, let's talk NFL playoffs when we come back on ESPN 690. You know what I'm saying? It's not about, you know, myself, and that's how I carry myself. You know, you know, I'm more of a team guy, but uh, individual success, I want I won't achieve that to my end of my career. And uh, But I keep to, in my individual success to my wife, though. I tell her everything, how I'm feeling, but, you know, to the public, to my teammates, man, it's all about team, and that's how I really feel. That's Josh Allen after a tremendous rookie year. Ten and a half sacks uh, for him in really limited snaps. And now it will be interesting to see what they do going forward. Uh, and a lot of that will depend on the makeup of the team, whether Calais Campbell is here and, and heck, whether Yannick Ngakwe plays and who, what the scheme is and, and how they tweak things, all those kind of things. Um, but this guy seriously looks like he's going to be a sensational player. We'll talk more about Josh Allen down the road, but you could not have asked the guy to come in here and do any more. It's part of this rookie class. I mean, if you really look at it, it take away all the mud on the Jags, okay? Take away the bad feeling of, of so much. Take away everybody that, that, that kills Dave Caldwell in the front office and the scouting department for the bad first-round picks in the quarterbacks and, and all that stuff. And maybe I don't know how much credit the coaching staff gets in this, but I think you got to give them some. Everybody's a part of it, and I think I tweeted this. If I'm going into my meeting with Shad Khan and there's a lot on the line, here's what I'm bringing first. We got the offensive rookie of the year and defensive rookie of the year candidates. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're not winning it. I don't think. Uh, I think Joey Bosa is going to win it, and who knows on the offense? Uh, people will lean Kyler Murray because he was the number one pick, and Josh Jacobs, even though he didn't finish some games, but. Either way, they're going to lean that way. They're going to be in the conversation they should be, Minshew and Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. That's what I. That's my first say. Hey, see these guys? That's who we just got you. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody says we can't draft around here. Well, look who we just got you. And one of them might be our quarterback going forward. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, I, I, every time you say something nice about the Jags doing something good, it sounds like a defense of them. It's not. It's reality. I mean, they, they have – they had a very good draft. Minshew – Helped making an unbelievable draft because of what he did. 
Josh Allen with ten and a half sacks. And if you tell me that they fell into their lap, that's fine. I don't, it doesn't matter. He's there. They made the pick. They could have gone with T.J. Hawkinson. They needed a tight end way more than they needed the pass rusher, mm-hmm. and they chose Josh Allen. And I think 99 out of 100 times we all would have taken Josh Allen there. I get it. But they did. So they should be – it goes on their resume, 10 and a half sacks. And then even Juwan Taylor, who I really do think is going to be good. Like, he's a guy that was not lights out the entire time, but he did play every snap as a rookie. And I, I just feel like he's going to be good. It, it looks like he's going to be good. Well, so and let's be that's clear, three Brent, guys with John Taylor too. His biggest question mark or like the biggest con of him coming out of the draft was the injuries, right? Like people were kind of turned off of his injury history a little bit. It wasn't like well, he's not physical enough, he's not talented enough, he's not athletic enough. People were turned off by the injuries. Yeah. Well, guess what? Dude played the entire season, no problem. So from the Jaguars' perspective, yeah, obviously maybe took a little bit of a gamble, but at the same time, you got a first round pick basically for that second round value yeah it's a good point and, yeah. and i think i saw a number the other day most snaps out of rookies this year jaguars were fifth on that list so you know they are a young team they continue don't sell like tom crop hey easy now we're not no. selling tickets brent no i actually i'm not i, I actually said this to because i sat down with calais campbell we've been talking about it a little bit sure and a little bit will run tonight on jaguars all access because uh, some of those guys are already out of town we do have one final show at mellow mushroom at avondale hope you can join us so we kind of uh, reset the season and what going forward. But I sat down with Calais. We'll play a few minutes of that and we'll play more of it throughout the weeks, uh, even this weekend. And as I was going back and watching it and listening to it, there is an undertone there though. As, as a guy, I even bring up veteran guys like Conley and DJ Hayden and AJ Boye. And he stops me and says, yeah, but those guys are still young. Like yeah. they're not old guys. Like Hayden probably a little bit more, but AJ Boye has really only played a couple of seasons as a primary corner. Sure. Uh, so he's got a point. Conley's still only a fifth-year guy. You know, and, and his point to me and part of the conversation is, uh, it, you know, I said this, it's an NFL, it, NFL is always young now. Like, it, it's always, you're always young. Like, there's oh, no yeah. point to me in saying you're young because everybody's young. Everybody well, wants to be 24, 25 years. Yeah. But he stopped me and he said, you know what? The Patriots aren't young. He said the Patriots are never young. Patriots always go get those guys that are old and ex- older, experienced. Sure. And he, you know, his point was wisdom is key uh, in yeah. the NFL too. Yeah. And sometimes they'll trade a better athlete for a guy with a better IQ, wisdom, experience in New England. Now that's just one example of it. But I just thought it was interesting. That was something that was um, every time I tried to say, "Hey, you're young," you know, but young's okay. I mean, young's good. Young's like, yeah, but we might be too young still. I yeah. thought that was interesting because one of my big deals going into 2020 is they should keep a lot of their, not a lot of their veterans, but they need veteran presence. And it was almost like Calais was trying to tell me without actually saying it, like, yeah, and we need even more of it. Yeah, We still don't have enough of it. And, well, when you have the fifth most snaps out of rookies in the NFL, he might be right. So it's interesting that you brought up the IQ thing. I want to talk about that in a second. But getting back to the younger thing, I mean, Brent, I told the story how many times where I'm sitting in John Fox's office in the Chicago Bears, and he says, you know what, Austin, you're doing a really good job, but we're going to go in a younger direction. Dude, I was like 26, 27 years old. I thought I was coming into my prime. I finally got it figured out. This is my big chance now. I, I finally know how to rush the passer a little bit. I have Joe Kim, who's a pass rushing specialist, coaching me. He's showing me the light right now. And I'm 27 years old, and I'm too old? Like, that's just that's the way the NFL works. How you know? did Chicago it's, do the next year? It was underwhelming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So is Calais right? Yeah. I, I think he is a little bit, to be fair. And he mentioned the Patriots. Obviously... 
if you want to model your franchise, Brent, you want to model them after the New England Patriots. Now there, there's so many outliers there. There's the Bill Belichick, um, you know, thing. There's the Tom Brady thing. So it's hard to be like, well, we're gonna be like the Patriots. Well, you don't have Tom Brady, you don't have Bill Belichick, so it's hard to say that. Yeah, I always hate comparing but, teams to the exactly. Patriots. But from you, you brought up the IQ perspective, and it's something that I just thought of when you said that. So when I was in, at Murray State going in uh, in my senior year, and you know how like college football works is where teams like the scouts can come talk to you during practice or after practice, and you just meet with them a little bit, and they're kind of getting like the, the scouting process started before the season even starts, right? So you know a, a lot of NFL teams came through, especially because being a smaller school, they had to do their due diligence due diligence on me because they don't want to take a chance on guy from Murray State if they're not 100% sure. And for the most part, it was fine. You know, I'd get on the board, I'd write some stuff up, I'd, I'd share my philosophies and all like that. But when the New England Patriots showed up, and it was about three or four times where it was just them, after the first time I met with them, Brent, every single time I'd be at practice in the morning, I'd look to the sidelines, and I'd see a New England Patriots, you know, like shirt, because obviously, you know, they're rocking their gear. I'd think to myself, oh, you know, S word, basically. And why I thought that was because after practice, when I would meet with that scout from the Patriots and we would go to the board, it was three to four to five times as strenuous as any other scout that I met with. I mean, I'm talking about going through, like, what does the safety do here? What does the corner do here? Hey, man, I'm a defensive lineman, and I have a wristband that tells me what to do. How am I supposed to know where the safety goes in this play? Mm. But that's what they do. They do their due diligence, right, because they want high IQ-type football players. So it's just it was a little story that I thought of when you said the IQ. Well, there's a lot of talk I had with Calais off-camera, and it was a lot about that. I was you know, just just the little thing like uh, separation from a receiver because mm-hmm. it knows the route tree so much better. You know that yeah. I just those things that they get with enough skill set and athleticism still, but that IQ is so big there. And you know, in seventeen, I remember Tayshawn Gibson talking a lot about. He's like, you know what? We're not only talented, but we have guys that know the game. Mm-hmm. And Gibson was. Included in that. Barry Church was included in that. Not the most skillful athletic guy, but he knew the game. He'd been around the block a little bit. AJ, people tell me AJ Boye knows receivers' routes that they're going to run more than the receiver runs sometimes. He does that much. And we saw that firsthand with the Jets when he literally ran the Jets. I forgot. I think it was Robbie Anderson. He did. He he, he ran Robbie Anderson's route and then got the interception. And the one thing about Jalen, now Jalen sometimes decides whether he wants to play or not play and Mm -hmm. depends what call and sometimes seems disinterested and he gets bored and all those things. But he is a smart football player. He knows the game. Mm -hmm. So I guess the point being when like Gibson said that to me in 17, well, Think about what's not there anymore. Jalen, Gibson, Barry Church. So now you trade it in for guys that are young and, well, they're learning. They Mm -hmm. don't know as much. I mean, just it's the simplicity of that. And I'm not telling you you win 10 games because of it. But you might win a game in a critical moment because of it. You might make a play in a critical moment. And in a league where most teams, most games, come down to two or three plays, your one play, because you have an IQ about you, might be a really big one. And I do think... I think that's still a question mark, to be honest with you, with a guy like Miles Jack. And uh, and, uh, and as I say this, because I'm not trying to call people out, I think there's a big difference between being dumb and having IQ in sure. football. There's a big difference. I'm not telling you that Miles Jack's a dumb guy. He's not. He's not mm-hmm. at all. Very smart guy. Uh, I think pretty intellectual guy. 
But from a football savvy IQ standpoint, he's still kind of a young guy, had to learn a couple of positions. Does he know enough? How much did that help Puzz in his later years, even though he was not gifted athletically as half the people out there, maybe yeah. three quarters or, or 90% of the people out there, he was able to still make some make plays because of his IQ. So there's a huge difference here in terms of being smart and having football IQ. But I do think the Jaguars lack some of that, and a lot of that is because of youth. And this the, and this comes from the scouting department, and this comes from doing your draft due diligence because it all starts in college, Brent, right? Like when I was in Murray State my senior year, I loved playing the defense, but to be fair, we had a wristband, and it told us everything we had to do. The coach would say one, two, three, four, whatever, and I'm like, all right, one, let's see. Okay, I'm dropping curl the flat. Easy enough. You know, pretty simple. When I got to the NFL, and I'm sitting in Joe Collins' meeting room the very first day, and he goes, all right, write this play up. I go, I, look, I looked out of my hand, oh, I'm not wearing a wristband. Uh-oh. And here we have Joe Cohen, you know, saying every single curse word to be in the book because I don't know how to call it a defense. I don't know what everyone's position is. And that's ingrained with you in college. You know, and that's the thing with college, Ben, is like, I think some of these college coaches, they're so hell-bent on making it as easy as possible in terms of the mental game, right? Like, yeah, sure, you can be physical here, physical here, but they want to make things easy on their players because then their players perform well, right? Like, play fast. Yeah, they're, you got to play fast, exactly, especially with the offensive-minded you know, offenses these days in the college football. But when you get to the NFL, you realize it's not just about what you do. You have to know what the other guy's doing, the other guy's doing, and that takes time, and then that takes reps. And if you don't get that ingrained in college, once you get to the NFL – Either you have it or you learn from somebody or you just never have it, you know? So from that perspective, that's where the due diligence of the scouting department's got to come in. Yeah, and I also think, too, you know, in this scheme defensively, the beauty of the scheme is its simplicity. Correct. But because of simplicity, you better have good athletes and be able to perform and let them fly and go 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 to work. Mm-hmm. When you take some of those good athletes away, the simplicity gets eaten up. Phillip Rivers takes advantage of your linebackers that aren't really that good, mm-hmm. and he rips you up and down the field. Mm-hmm. So it's also the criticism of it the fact that it is so simple uh but when it works well like 17 and even some in 18 and other places that are running it san francisco right now when you have good athletes man you just go you have like six i've, I've been told before this scheme has like six different calls yeah and and that's probably evolved since i've been told that but i mean that's it and just go play it yeah but when you play those veteran quarterbacks and know how to pick it apart that's where you get eaten up sometimes too and, and, and to be fair with the san francisco whole debate and Kuz and I got into this uh, during the show on, it would have been Tuesday, I guess, when you had it at the press conference. I did a whole breakdown, man, yeah, and, 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 and I went what off a little the bit. Nine, the wide nine, no, and the, so the, the, they call it the, the crash nine crash technique. Nine, crash nine. Yeah, so I get it. You have your philosophies, but you got to throw the wrinkles in there sometimes because yeah. the 49ers saw, you know what, we got a pretty good defensive line, a lot of speed. Let's throw a little wrinkle in there and see if teams can stop that. And I think with the Jacksonville Jaguars this year on defense, yes, there were some personnel issues. But I don't think there are enough wrinkles that kind of threw offenses out. Because eventually, like I said, it's a copycat league. Teams get hip to the game, and team offenses will eventually beat you if you don't throw wrinkles at them. Well, we just mentioned San Francisco, the Patriots, veteran teams. Let's take a look at the NFL playoffs right after this. How many teams can win this thing? Who do you like? And I don't know if we'll find too many young football teams in the postseason. Let's try to explore that now on ESPN 690 right when we come back. I mean, I, I feel feel the energy in the locker room. We're, we're close as ever. I mean, we're like this team. I feel like it's closer than the 2017 uh, year as well. So I mean, I don't even know honestly. I just I just feel like as long as we we stay close and we start, as long as we stay close in the group, we'll, we'll we'll figure it out.
I always love when we're talking more in the commercial breaks. Like, we never get up, go to the bathroom or anything. It's yeah. just kind of like, yeah, we continue the conversation. We some kind of like, just like little viewership between the commercial breaks where people can hear what we're talking about. Yeah, they're probably some pretty kind of good. I don't app. know if um, all the people we're talking about would like it. Oh, no, not but, at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah, we kind of hit on something, though, a little bit there, and it, it'll be worth exploring down the road. And, and this is a really hard thing to do. I've always found this uh, very difficult. Because it sounds like you're saying people are dumb. Mm-hmm. And especially in, uh, let's just be honest, especially in football, I think you can run into that where you're like just, you're stereotyping people as a dumb jock well, kind listen, of syndrome, right? If anybody watched Rob Gronkowski for the New Year's celebration <laughs> thing, like, he, he's, because, like, listen, my whole career, I tried to, I guess, release the stigma of, like, you know, that football players are just dumb jocks. Like, there's more to football players than just hitting people, you know? Like, we got things that we're into as well, and we're, you know, we can be smart and all that good stuff. But then Gronk comes out on New Year's <laughs> Eve and sets us back back to the 60s, man. Now, hey, I'm not hating on Gronk. That's who he is. I understand that. I talked to him a couple times. But he was not helping football relations at all for the New Year's party. But I get what you're saying, Brad. Yeah, well, you said, don't want to offend anybody. Yeah, well, and I said this to my father-in-law, actually, uh, yesterday. I said, I think that whole, like, stigma mm-hmm. of dumb jocks, uh, football especially, but just dumb jocks in general, is so far gone. Like, yeah. that, that is like a, whether it's the 60s, 70s, maybe even the 80s. I think today's athlete is very bright, smart, knows all about branding that we talk about mm-hmm. all the time, wants to get their degree, knows that the value of it in education um, and and even after the fact wants to go back. Uh, so I, I think that's not even like close to anything. But I do think when you mention like the the savvy and the IQ, I, it comes across like maybe a guy doesn't have that, therefore he's dumb. I, I don't think that's the case. I think there's a big difference. You know, mm-hmm. there's just a big big difference between having the knowledge, the instincts, all these things when you play a game, whatever sport it might be. Um, and in and, and a lot of sh- ways, uh, you know, that's why I love the sport of baseball, because if you have that IQ, you can make up for a lot of things you don't have in Correct. baseball. Yeah. Uh, in football, I think it's a little harder. If I'm my size, I'm going to have a hard time. as I could be the smartest guy on the planet, yeah. have the IQ of whoever, well, have the instincts of whoever, but it's really going to be hard for me to play football. Listen, there's a reason why Craig Council was such a... A storied guy for the Milwaukee Brewers playing for such a long time. He's like the T.J. McConnell of baseball. It was because of his smarts. It wasn't because of athleticism, even his ability to hit the ball. It was because he had the highest IQ of the team. Now he's the manager, obviously. But you're absolutely right. Like The IQ can be the ultimate equalizer. And that's what makes football really difficult, too, because you have to find the guy that's crazy enough to go get in a car wreck 60 times a game on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon with 300-pound men. Yeah. You have to get, find the person that's athletic enough to even begin to do that. Mm-hmm. Then you have to find the supreme athlete, but you also want that supreme athlete that's crazy enough to get in a car wreck 60 times in an afternoon also to be smart and savvy when the time is right. Yeah, That's a tough thing to find, man. And you're not going to find 22 of them or 11 of them on the field one time. But the more you do have, the more you can hide the ones that aren't and uh, the more they can make up for other things, I, I believe, uh, in a play. And so, uh, you know, it, I, I saw something the other day, actually. Manny Ramirez, right? Yeah. Manny Ramirez comes off as like one of the most dumb athletes I've ever seen. Doesn't he kind of, he kind of portrays that. For sure. Well, somebody else just tweeted recently, like he was the hardest worker I ever had, like in high school and, and blah, 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 blah. But I also think that guy is one of the smartest hitters of all time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Can he solve like the 
quadratic equation. I don't know. Yeah. But he knows the geometry and, and physics of hitting a baseball, so, and he can do it really, really well. And and that's all he needed to do at the time. And by the way, he might be great at the quadratic equation. I have sure. no idea. It comes across like he's not. Yeah. But th- that's my point. It's like there's a difference in being smart and savvy, yeah. and I- IQ comes into play there. And youth comes into play there a lot, too. It does. And if you're trying to name a guy on the Jaguars past or present who fits the mold of maybe, like, in the press conferences – doesn't really give you a lot, and maybe if you hear him speak, doesn't really give you a lot, but when you watched him play with reckless abandonment, it was like, okay, this guy's something special. Do you remember a dude, I think back in 2011, by the name of Clint Sessions? Oh, yeah. Okay, so Clint Sessions, yeah. if, if I remember right, it was so like long Clint. ago. Yeah, so Clint Sessions came from Indianapolis, I believe. Yep, he did. And he was an outside linebacker. And he was known for hitting people. And unfortunately, that's because that's the reason why that he ruined his career. Yeah, ruined his career because yeah. the dude just hit. But believe me when I tell you, like, Coach Del Rio would be, like, you know, highlighting Quinn Sessions' hits because, I mean, they're legendary, man. And this was, like, my second year in the NFL. And I'm like, this dude's like, what the heck? This guy's like a video game character. And Del, Del Rio would be like, Quinn, what are you thinking right here? He's like, hit stick, hit stick. That's all you ever say is hit stick, hit stick. But then if you watched him in the game, the guy was an absolute genius because he knew where the play was going to be before it actually happened. And it was one of the only few players, and keep in mind, I played with guys like Lance Briggs, all right? I played with guys like Tom Ali, Justin Houston, some pretty good outside linebackers. Daryl Smith. Smith, exactly. Paul, Paul, I mean, Puzz, you know, I mean, I played with a lot of great linebackers. Jack Del Rio gave Clint Sessions free reign. And basically it was like, you know what? We're going to run our base defense, but Clint, if you see something, man, you just go. So he can add lib. So you can add lib. And he let him have 100% reign. I've never seen it with any other football player at any position. And I play with some great ones, Brent. But Clint Sessions was that guy. Now, in the press conferences, did he give you the great sound bites? Probably not, man. The, the, the dude was, uh, he was a little crazy and everything like that. But like you said, you have to be crazy to play this football game, right? But I'm telling you, on the field, man, his instincts and everything, they were just, they were ungodly. But like, like you said, unfortunately, that's what ended his career a little sooner just because of all the yeah, concussions. Yeah, he had a lot of concussion yeah. problems uh, at the end. I, and I don't know uh, after football how it's been, all those things. I but no I know at either, the time, there was, he was a big story about that. Uh, uh, one quick follow-up to that. Yeah. Do you, the ad-libbing, the freedom that he had, did it? pay off or oh, did it burn you no so, no it, it because absolutely like a paid Pal- off see that's a big difference like troy palomalu yeah. some people oh, argue that's a great like, example. he makes great plays sure but he also is out of position a ton of times and gets burned and nobody talks about it sure sure right? sure yeah yeah no you're absolutely so he's right. kind of that guy yeah which a lot of people and and i'll be careful here but some people will say that's kind of like the yannick and gakway talk a little bit mm-hmm. that he makes these splash plays but he might not be there for every play yeah. that, some of the critics will say that and i mean you'll see it and some people that say well he's not worth 22 million or this it's because of that well Palomalu made a living sure. making big time plays, but he might have been out of position at other times. <laughs> so, so to be fair, everything that I, that I witnessed, and it's funny how this play stands out to me because it's almost like a decade old now. But I remember when we were playing in Houston, and Clint, for whatever reason, figured out it was going to be a play action pass. I don't know if that was from film study. I don't know if the tight end told him it was coming. Whatever it was, Clint knew it was going to be a play action pass. So once again, having the 100% free reign that he did, he went from the linebacker spot and literally just came on the line. Like, you know, so he comes down like five yards. And at the time, you're like, dude, what are you doing, man? And he's like, you know, I got it. So the ball snapped. It is a play action. Clint absolutely, I think it was Shab at the time, if I'm not mistaken, absolutely decletes the quarterback. The ball goes flying. He picks it up. I think he pitches it back to Pot Roast, if I'm not mistaken. I think Pot Roast 
actually pitches it to Matt Ross. I'll have to go back and watch that play now. It was so long ago. But, like, there was, like, three or four, like, you know, laterals or whatever, which is not the smartest thing to do. But it was all because of Clint Sessions. And and you always got those plays from Clint. And those plays right there, man, those are difference makers. Yeah, so, they are. So I, I think, you know what, if he gave up a couple plays maybe because his instincts were maybe a little off, like Troy Palomalu did, I would rather have that. Uh, on top of the big plays, and as opposed to not doing anything at all, just playing the base defense. Well, it, to be honest with you, I keep making these analogies to baseball and Manny Ramirez and other things, but it's like it is like today's baseball. Yeah, it's like hey, you can strike out with the bases loaded a couple of times, but if you come up in the eighth or ninth inning and hit me the game-winning home run, yeah. it's all worth it. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's not enough of that in yeah. in, in football, but Paulo Malu was kind of that guy. He's well, gonna there's a the reason why he's going you. to the Hall of Fame right? too, right? Yeah, yeah. but yeah. you've got to have the you've got to allow guys to do that. Correct. You've got to be willing to let guys do that and make some big mistakes too along the way. Correct. Because you're gonna get the payoff down the road. See, I always thought that was Telvin Smith. People would complain about his missed tackles, but Telvin would come up with a big play sometimes in a game or many of them in a course of a season mm-hmm. that would offset some of the. I'm missing tackles because I'm 210 pounds and playing linebacker. Mm-hmm. So if you have a little bit of that give and take, it's okay. You just better be able to make those plays. Yeah. Once those plays start going away, well, then you really look like oh, you're yeah. handicapping the defense mm-hmm. because you're not making up for some of the plays you're not making. Yeah. And to be fair, I think that year, I think we were top six defense, if I'm not mistaken. And that plays like that right there were the reason why. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think we'd spend a half hour on Talk uh, sports IQ. Talk about Quinn Session of all people, man. Yeah. All right. Hopefully he's uh, doing well. All right. We will get to the end. I want to get the NFL playoffs next. Uh, we yeah. got big games that we can do this tomorrow, too. But just your overall thought and, and how many really, really good teams. Think about this, too, and I might do this during the break. Think about how many dollars are wrapped up in the NFC playoff quarterbacks alone. It's mind-boggling. We'll talk about it next on ESPN 690. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. You know, I stand on the table for Doug. You know, uh, got a lot of respect for him. I mean, he kept us together through all the thick and thin, all the ups and downs this year, you know, and uh, just kept us staying focused. Now, obviously, you know, uh, we didn't play as good as we wanted to this whole season, you know, but just to be able to finish what we, you know, we have, you know, and just be able to, you know, stay together is really a testament to, you know, his coaching ability and uh, just keeping us focused, you know. Well, that, of course, Calais Campbell. I think the defensive line is on their way to, like, Vegas or something. Oh, okay. You guys, did you do that a lot? You guys have, like, end-of-the-year trips, get-togethers? Is that a common thing? Uh, It is. I mean, it's... I mean, it depends, right? Because people got families. You know, like Aaron Campman was going to come with us to, to Vegas if we wanted to Miami Beach because Aaron Campman's a family man. So uh, I think it all depends. Usually a, a core group of guys will go on vacation together, so... Yeah, Vegas, I guess. Vegas it is. There you go. Uh, well, I mean, what, what a nice thing to have where you go to Vegas and all of a sudden, oh, what's this, Super Bowls in Miami this year? And then Miami Beach after that. Not bad. Not a bad gig. And we'll see some of those guys down there. I think Calais will be there. I think yep. Mitchie will be there. I've heard. Uh, who knows who else uh, yeah. goes there. It's do we do we have J-Lo yet booked for the show? Uh, not yet. I thought you were working on it. I'll, I'll get back on that, I guess. Didn't know that was my job. By the way, the Super Bowl, I think, is a month from today. Okay. February 2nd. Okay. I like it. How about that? We'll be, yeah, January 2nd. Yeah. yeah, February 2nd. How about that? Right Speak, on the corner. Speaking of big uh, shindigs and parties, look at this right here. We got tickets to our party. You bet. It's coming up. And uh, it's coming up in two weeks from tomorrow. Thanks to Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. By the way, Jumpin' Jack's House of Food opening a new location tomorrow downtown. Uh, check it out for lunch downtown. New neighbors downtown. Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. They have three locations at the beach, 
San Jose Boulevard, and now their newest location downtown. We'll actually be out there next week, uh, but uh, we appreciate Jumpin' Jack's House of Food for helping us throw this party, and there will be Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. By the way, Ty Guy says it's the best burger around. Oh, okay. It. Yeah, I mean, they were in here. I had the burger. Yep. It was fantastic. Yep. I was and, pumped. And they were at our Dream 18. You yeah. probably tried it there, too. Well, keep in mind, that burger was sitting out for like three hours, so it was a little chilly. And, and it was I still, still good. Oh, still on point. But anyway, you could be a part of our one-year party, our one-year celebration. Here's what we're doing. We're throwing it right here. We're going to have different vendors in. There'll be food. There'll be gift prizes, grand prize winner. Um, we'll have tickets to games. We'll have uh, fun little giveaways. Really, we just want to kind of make it a big event to uh, celebrate our one-year uh, which will happen January 17th right here at the studios. We have this big performance studio, so we'll do our show uh, live in there. And we're limiting the guest sheet, but uh, let's see how many people sign up, and then we'll yeah. figure out how many we can have in. It's from 2.30 to 6 p.m. on the 17th. Here's what you do. Just go register, ESPN690.com. And uh, if you're listening to the show uh, right now on ESPN690.com in the stream, we can just stay right there and register uh, to win a ticket to the uh, one-year anniversary show. Also, that week we will give some away uh, as we're out and about on location. We're going to do several shows on location uh, from Jumpin' Jack's House of Food, uh, from Renna's Pizza. I try to go out to Mr. Chubby's Wings as well, and uh, you can get some uh, tickets uh, that week. So we'll have some special giveaways. But we want you to be a part of it. We appreciate you listening, and uh, we'll have some fun. One-year anniversary show coming up uh, January 17th. Coming up tonight, Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. So we'll talk a little college football in just a bit. But I want to talk NFL playoffs. Yep. I mean, the NFC playoffs is fantastic. Yeah. Really good. Yep. Uh, we can debate how good the Eagles are. You could. But it's still fantastic. Yeah. The AFC is a little more. See? I don't know, man. It's hard. Like, I, I, can, I can make a case. Yeah. But I would say in the NFC right now. I can't tell you there's much difference between San Francisco, Green Bay, Seattle, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Let's keep it at that. We'll, we'll keep Minnesota and, and the Eagles in a different category. But those four teams, I mean, wow, yeah. unbelievable. They've got everything going for them right now. And in the AFC, it's like, okay, Baltimore is the thing. Kansas City has been the thing. New England has been the dynasty. Tennessee, I still don't trust. Buffalo, it's hard for me to trust, even though they're playing better than people think. Brent hasn't believed in Tennessee since Ryan Tannehill came in. I kept on saying every single uh, week, you going to buy in Tennessee? No. you going to buy in them? He still hasn't bought into Tennessee. I will not believe in Tennessee. I like country music and I like Nashville, but I'm not believing in the Titans. I'll just continue to be wrong for the rest of my life about the Titans. We are going into the playoffs, and, and he's like not Derek buying Henry. into Tennessee. There uh, you go. But... Uh, but anyway, so I'm kind of like up in the air on the AFC and, and like Houston. Houston's been such a disappointment in the postseason oh, yeah. when they've made it. And even this year, I mean, they've been topsy-turvy, tough to figure out, not a lot of consistency. It, it continues to be why I, I am not as high on Deshaun Watson as everybody else is because his lack of consistency. He's, he's brilliant at times. And then I'm like, how the heck did they only score 13 points with him and Hopkins and what else they've got going on there? So, uh Anyway, fascinating playoffs. I just think the NFC is so rock solid. Those four teams, I might take those four teams ahead of anybody else in the NFL, and that includes the Ravens and Chiefs. Oof, I don't know how I feel about that, Brent. Me either, but, but I oh, might. Yeah. 
Well, first of all, let's go ahead and break down your uh, predictions that you're going to have for the Super Bowl. Cowboys, ooh. Uh, Chargers, <laughs> eh. So, never mind, man. Sorry. I, I completely forgot about that. My oh, bad. you wrote those down? Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, 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 they're saved up here, Brent, okay? I don't remember much, but that's something I did remember. Do you, uh, just a question here. Yeah, what do you got? Do you have to have a winning record and get in the playoffs to be able to get to the Super Bowl? Last <laughs> well, time I checked. Well, sometimes. I, I, think guess I'll, make... I guess I'll live off my baseball predictions. <laughs> Go ahead, and I'll take the football and fantasy football. Ball at that point too. Listen, the Titans game. That this one's the most intriguing one to me is the Titans Patriots because I get it. It's at it's at Gillette, and when the Patriots play at home, they're pretty much unstoppable. Now the Dolphins came in and changed that narrative a little bit out of nowhere, right? And my belief is Julian Edelman's banged up. The New England Patriots are just their offense is not what it's what it used to be. Okay, you can say Gronk's gone if you want. I think the the whole the mindset was Sony Michelle was going to take a step forward this year and really be like that game changing running back that bell cow. Well, he hasn't been that no. right. So Sony Michelle, that's kind of and I should know because I had him in my fantasy football team. But anyways, but he hasn't been that great this season. You know they've relied more on James White and that passing game Rex Burkhead. So for me. I'm not saying the Titans are going to win this game, Brent, but how can you not like the Titans with that running game, you know, with that physical style of play? Because if it showed you anything in the, the Patriots' defense, the only way they're vulnerable is if you can run the ball down their throat, like the Ravens did. Now, the Dolphins game, I'm not even going to count because that was just, I don't know what that was. But I think the Patriots can be vulnerable in the run game. You know, I mean, when you have Stephen Gilmore, when you have a, a great secondary, it's going to be hard to pass the ball. But if you have Derrick Henry at your disposal, the NFL rushing champion, to me, you got a shot, especially with, with clock management. I, again, this is a game, for me, I just don't know how to trust anybody. I yeah. don't even know if I can trust the Patriots, and they're usually a trustable team, but yeah. their offense is so stuck in the mud, and you're just wait- – I said this the other day, watching them play the Dolphins uh, because it was the early game. I'm like, all right, when are they hitting the gas pedal here? Mm-hmm. When are they going to hit the gas pedal here? Well, the reality is, and nobody wants to admit it, they can't. They yeah. don't have the gas pedal to hit. They don't. Yeah. They they are who they are on offense, and so they better play well defensively. And then if you have a chance late in the game, then you'd rather – I don't care if it's me out there catching passes. Yeah. You want Tom Brady with the football, and then at Gillette Stadium, we know what kind of magic can happen there. Jacksonville felt it a couple years ago. So I, I, I think – but I also don't trust Tennessee because uh, even though my hatred for them – I just don't know what to trust. Tannehill's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. They've been outstanding. They're scoring, I think they've five times or something, they've scored 35 points Correct. or more. Incredible. Derrick Henry's having a great year. NFL scoring, I mean, NFL rushing leader. But I do think, you know, A.J. Brown's been outstanding. Yeah. But, and actually should get consideration for rookie of the year on offense. Sure. If you look at his numbers. Well, and the crazy, both of the Ole Miss guys, D.K. Metcalf, too, had a great season. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, but I just... You know this, and you hear people say it a lot, playoff football's different. Sure. And so what has have the Titans done all for the last two months that's been so Whoa. electric and great that could change? And and one game-planning thing I'm concerned about for Tennessee, Stephon Gilmore, you put him on A.J. Brown. Oh, yeah. You take, right? take the best. I mean, that's Bill Belichick does that better than anybody. He takes the biggest threat at the wide receiver position away. So say goodbye to A.J. Brown. So A.J. Brown's you're gone. gone. And then load the box on everybody else for Derrick Henry, yeah. right? And just yeah. kind of leave Gilmore on an island and hope he wins that battle. I mean, for the most part, I'm, I'm kind of sure. it's not exactly going to happen that way. But isn't Tennessee, if you do that and you have the horses to do that, and they do with Gilmore, mm-hmm. and they're a stout defense, they've been they stout all year. What what left? What do they have left? I mean, what does Tannehill have left offensively? 
Yeah. I mean, he's got John. So here's the thing. John Smith, the tight end. So Brent, when we break down like these playoff games, you know, I mean, yeah, they can go a certain amount of ways. But at the end of the day, I base it off of identity. You know, what have the team showed you the entire season? Not the last game of the season. Not Green Bay almost getting beat by Detroit and Green Bay getting kind of lucky at the end. Not the Patriots getting beat by the Miami Dolphins. I I go off the full body of work. You know, the middle of the season towards the end. The identities. And the Patriots' identity, obviously, is that they play great defense. I think they're a little vulnerable in the run game. We saw it against the Ravens. Now, the Ravens receivers... Who do they have? Nobody really. I mean, they wow, got well, they got Hollywood Brown, but he's but he even when he played the Patriots, they shut him down and they still had success, right? So from that perspective, I think if you're the Titans, yes, you obviously pound the rock, you keep the game close, and you give your shots a chance to win. Just because I don't see the Patriots' offense doing that well against the Titans' defense, you yeah, know, so not. it could be a stalemate. So from that perspective, I think the Titans got a great shot of winning this game. Well, you're right. Tennessee has an identity. Patriots really don't have an offensive they identity. They really don't. Uh, here, here's one other interesting. I'm a big storyline believer, okay? Yeah, sure. And almost like write the uh, the headlines the next week. Yeah. Well, for the longest time, uh, and I don't even know what the record was, but I know it's a lot to a little. It's kind of like Saban against assistant coaches. Well, Belichick against assistant coaches is a very strong number. Sure. Well, Flores just goes into Gillette and beats them. Mm-hmm. And so I can see the headline that Vrabel goes in and beats him in two in a row yeah. after nobody being able to beat Belichick. Is this the end of the dynasty? Not only can they not get home field advantage, they lose to the hapless Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. But now Belichick, of all people, is losing to his assistant coaches. You know, yeah. I mean, I, that's the way sports work sometimes. And I can almost see that headline being written Sunday morning after that Saturday night game that Flores and Vrabel get the great Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Uh, back-to-back weeks. Sure, and, and I can absolutely see that as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting yeah. to see. We'll take a look at some of the other games. When we come back, uh, NFL playoffs are here. It's really a fun time. This opening weekend should be pretty darn good. Some good games all across the board. That NFC is wild and wacky, and I still feel like one team could emerge that, believe it or not, people have kind of slept on in the last couple months because of all the other storylines. They shouldn't, but they kind of have. Oh, I'm curious for this one. It's next on ESPN 690. And uh, just keeping us focused, you know. And, uh, I mean, I, I think we can win the Super Bowl with him as a coach. Now, obviously, you know, that's way above my pay grade. You know, I'm just happy to have a job myself. But, uh, you know, I got a lot of respect for him. And more Calais Campbell, more of what's coming out of the Jags locker room earlier this week. It'll be the last time we'll hear from a lot of players. Well... I guess for a couple weeks, uh, in a few weeks, we'll hear from Calais at the Pro Bowl. We'll see if anybody else makes the Pro Bowl. And then uh, the Super Bowl, I think some guys will be there. But, you know, from an organization standpoint, next time players are even around, one would be in March for free agency. But this current group of players, or whoever is a part of it going forward in 2020, really is April. Yeah. You know, so again, once in a while we'll catch up with guys because we see him out and about, or maybe there's an event or a camp or, or whatever it might be. But from an organizational standpoint, you really shut down until uh, off-season conditioning program begins. And I think that's like on April 20th uh, this year, which starts like draft week. Yeah. So uh, that's it for a while from the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. Time to get away for them and and um, everybody else. Been talking a little bit about the NFL playoffs. Brent Martin, Austin Lane, Coos. Happy uh, 2020, everybody. Thanks for uh, checking us out on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. By the way, how was the wrestling last night? Wrestling was fantastic, man. And it, 
it's funny. Like, imagine you at TPC, all the notoriety that you get. Well, people came up to me, and it wasn't about the show. It was about, dude, your MJF interview was yeah, awesome, bet. you know? So, they went crazy, they're, right? Yeah, they're all about, yeah, there's some really nice write-ups from the Wrestling Observer posted it and stuff. So it was cool to get, you know, some, some props for that. But uh, overall, a great show, and the best part was, so originally my plan was just to go by myself because I figured, well, after, I have to do, like, the press conference and stuff, so I couldn't pick my son because it would be a little too late. Well, it turns out they didn't have a press conference after. So literally, the show started at 8 o'clock. I text my wife probably at 7.15. I'm like, hey, you guys want to come? You know, because Ronan was looking forward to coming. I'm like, buddy, I got I to gotta work it a little bit. You know, this isn't just enjoyment for me, even though it kind of was. But it's more of a business <laughs> trip. It's, it's always enjoyment. I kind of lied to my son a little bit is what it is. But, um... <laughs> But so the, I ended up getting some tickets, and then I ended up having them kind of sit in the row that I was because there were some open seats there. I mean, it was a sold-out thing, but where I was sitting in the media row, there's nobody there because there's no need for media. So I had Ronan next to me and then my wife, and uh, it was my wife's first wrestling show, and I'm sure she was kind of whatever. But Ronan, dude, Ronan, Ronan was all about it. And the cool thing was, too, John Moxley, who he's a big fan of, John Moxley came right out like the entrance, like from the side in the crowd, right where we were standing. So like Ronan like went to go kind of run up to him and say what's up. So <laughs> it was um, it was Ronan's first wrestling thing, and he's obviously a diehard wrestling fan. So just seeing the joy and excitement in his face, man. Made my entire night. That was, was awesome. awesome. So, uh, like the atmosphere, I didn't get over there. So I was, yeah. I was thinking about getting over there. But uh, is it is it loud? Oh with, yeah, with a few thousand people in there and, and Daly's place. Yeah. And, I mean, is it is it rocking? Like, what's so, the atmosphere? Yeah, so the atmosphere was fantastic, and it was a little different from the fight for the fall. And if you remember back in the summer, yeah, because that one was more of just like it was like a pay per view event. Right, where this one they were taping for TV, right? So there's commercial breaks and things of that nature. So, you know, there, there's some lapses and there's some dull moments. But as far as the crowd was concerned, the crowd was fantastic um, to the point where obviously there are some chants being yelled that uh, were aren't appropriate to repeat. But then my son is trying to chant those chants, and I'm like, "Bud, we, we don't talk like that, you know? Like, let's just <laughs> let's put the earmuffs on for a second, and and you know, let's not say the S word or let's not say the A word. Like, let's not do that stuff. But but let's have fun. So I had to re- kind of reiterate that we don't talk like that at home, even though there was some parenting going on here. There was a lot of parenting, and it didn't help that the parents next to us was a guy wearing a Ric Flair robe with his kids who said every single curse word in the book multiple times in front of his children. So I look like I'm like the the bad guy where I'm like, don't swear, Ron, don't swear, even though the guy next to us with his family is letting it fly. So, <laughs> but, but overall, it was a great time. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, another successful show. Overall, yeah. in year one, do you think it's been a big success? I think it has. I, I think the ratings say that. Um I think this, the, the fans say that, obviously. I think it has been a big success. And, and for me personally, like, yeah, obviously I cover all the wrestling probably a little more than WWE because, well, it's Tony Khan's thing, right? I mean, it involves Jacksonville. But overall, like on, on the grand landscape of things, if you want to say nothing else but all the wrestling, that it's changed the wrestling world where now everyone's on their A game, right? Like when the shows come out, whether it's WWE or all the wrestling, like they're always in competition with each other. Therefore, the product is a lot better. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, good uh, summary of, of what went on yesterday right here at Daly's Place. All right, back to the uh, playoffs. Sure, yep. And we just did Tennessee and New England. I don't think we break down every game. No, we don't have to. But it was a big slide to Kansas City for getting the number two seed. and. Yep. I think people are sleeping on Kansas City. You know, this, yeah. listen, Baltimore's stolen all the headlines. Baltimore is the Kansas City of last year. It was Mahomes, now it's Lamar Jackson. Yep. And they also looked so vulnerable. Didn't they lose like three straight at home? 
middle of the year, I think it was, Kansas City, and yep. then obviously the injury to Mahomes. So they kind of went off everybody's radar. Meanwhile, the San Francisco 49ers are grabbing headlines. Sure. The Packers are back mm-hmm. with Aaron Rodgers. Yep. The Saints are scoring 45 a game and playing some electric games. Sure. The story of the Patriots starting to go downhill a little bit. The Bills may be challenging the AFC East. You know, you have that dynamic West with the Rams and and the and Seattle and yep. San Francisco. So you have all these different storylines, and I just feel like the one I almost feel like I, I try to equate it to maybe it was uh, was it like Houston? Uh, maybe it was Houston. But we see this a lot in sports where a team makes it to a finals yeah. or makes it close. And you're like, man, I can't believe they didn't win it. They were talented enough to win it. But then that next year they come back and just some of that experience from that trip. Sure. Then they win it. I feel like Kansas City might be that. Kansas yeah. City loses because of some people might argue D the Ford. overtime rule. Well, but D Ford too jumping off sides helped out a little Not bit. Not only that, but also that roughing the passer on yeah. Brady, which was a little bit of a gift. Sure. Well, okay, a lot of bit of a gift to the Patriots. <laughs> yeah. And or they would have been in the Super Bowl last year and most people probably would have picked them to yeah. beat the Rams. So I, I'm wondering now, with even Mahomes, as electric as he was, as great as he was last year, is just some of that experience going through that, mm-hmm. whether it makes them more hungry, more attention to detail, maybe the way they call a game, where the way they perform. And on top of that, they've got home field, at least for the semifinal game. they got a bye and a home field where they only would have to beat the Ravens. And their defense, well, I say only have to beat the Ravens on the road. Yeah, yeah. Uh, their defense is playing a lot better. Like, it's taken a while, and early in the year, you're like, okay, which have they? I thought they made all these changes. Yeah. Well, now their defense is playing a lot better these last few weeks. So, I kind of like Kansas City, man, to make a run here. They're probably my favorite to win the Super Bowl right now, believe okay. it or not. And I think if you did the odds, I don't know what the odds are, but I think a lot of people would pick four or five teams before they pick Kansas City. <clears throat> all right. So, from the AMC perspective, Brent, listen. We hear this story every single year. How can you pick against Tom Brady? How can you pick against the New England Patriots, right? I mean, I have not going to the Super Bowl, but I truly think, listen, I've watched their offense play all season, and I, I just don't see it this year, okay? I don't see I don't see the, the – and I, I'm gonna, probably going to regret this. I'm sure probably going to go to the Super Bowl anyways, but, like, I don't see the Tom Brady of even last year. You know, I think he's regressed a little bit, and that has to do with, obviously, the lack of the running game, but also the lack of the receivers that they have. So I wholeheartedly can't pick the Patriots to go to the Super Bowl, even though they were my pick. I like the Ravens, and, and I get it that that's the easy pick. You know, I mean that's that's not the sexy pick per se. But Brent, anytime you got a team that can run the ball like they can, and we'll see with Ingram and everything like that, but they can run the ball with Edwards, uh, Justice Hill, whoever they have is back there. They can run the ball with. You have a dynamic guy like Lamar Jackson, and you have the tight ends that they have. I just don't see anybody stopping them because I, like, I break down the linebackers of each NFL team. Unless they put the 49ers in the Super Bowl, I don't think anybody can stop them from the linebacker position trying to cover those tight ends. And I think with the Baltimore Ravens, we talked about Justin Tucker, probably the best kicker in the NFL. Yeah. That can make a difference. And they're playing at home. And the AFC, everything's falling, in my opinion, in the Baltimore Ravens' favor. It's just incredible if you think about it that you could see San Francisco-Baltimore again in the Super Bowl. Yeah. 2012 was just like that. Correct. Totally different kind of, although you got the Kaepernick San Francisco, he's now basically 
Lamar Jackson, Baltimore. Yeah, you know, correct. I mean, it's it's not apples to apples, but Ronan, or Romans there and everything. Exactly. And when we're talking about the Ravens, listen, it's, I don't think it's gonna be like the, the the Rams of last year, where eventually someone figures the Rams out and they yeah. stop with the defense. No, to me, and I've, I've said this like for the past month or so, I think the Ravens' deep uh, offense is so dynamic where you can't stop it, man. Like you can try. Good luck. But they're just going to out-physical gonna out physical you, and it's going to be game over. Could be who has the ball last, because Kansas City, many people believe, is like that, too. Yeah. You can't beat them if they don't beat themselves. Sure. Uh, more playoff talk, a little college football talk as well. One more hour to go on a Thursday to start 2020. Thanks for hanging with us on ESPN 690. You know, make no mistake. You know, Shad has made it very clear uh, to both of us that the results of the past two seasons are nothing short of disappointing and expectations are, are high going forward. I know in my heart, like I said before, I can take this team to better roads and can do a better job. Like I said, the, the city deserves that, our sponsors, people in the building, and obviously, especially our fans, they deserve that. This community has embraced our players and our coaches. I can, I can promise you that we'll do a better job uh, for Jacksonville and the Khan family moving forward. That's Doug Marone's promise in 2020. Essentially, you figure he has 12 months to figure that out. Uh, it's a, it's, hasn't been said, but it's been said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but a lot of people thought that would be the case last year too. Uh, so uh, that didn't turn out. Uh, still comes with much criticism around here. Uh, hard to uh, fully comprehend for a lot of fans, and and continues to be a dominating story. But now it's it is what it is. And it's action time for Dave Caldwell, Doug Marone, this football team, franchise, players, everything uh, in 2020 to see what they can pull off and be part of the conversation when it comes to the playoffs, uh, which what we're talking about now. And, you know, seriously thinking, one of the things I put out there, how many teams do you think can win the Super Bowl? Yeah. You know, and right now. I, if I, and you got to be honest with yourself here because I understand 12 teams could win the Super Bowl. Yes, you could have the Cinderella run. Uh, are the Eagles a Super Bowl team the way they're constructed right now? I think you'd be kidding yourself if you think they are better than or could pull out four wins and win a Super Bowl uh, the way they're currently constructed with their injuries. I, yeah. I think they're fortunate to be in the postseason. And hats off to Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz, and that football team for getting them in yeah. in the last uh, month. But – like I would give them uh, whatever the highest odds are. They're to me the 12th team in the mix, and and basically because of all their injuries. I mean everything is hard for the Philadelphia Eagles right now. Uh, it's really a, a heck of a job coaching I think, and by some of their players to get in um, to the dance. Minnesota's a different story, but I don't think they'll have much belief. You know Dalvin Cook coming off injury says he's ready to go. But Kirk Cousins, his inability to win big games on Monday Night Football, forget about big games this time of year, Sure, I think gives zero confidence to a team that's pretty well constructed. But I'm just not sure. I think they might have been better last year, man, from their, from the way they were playing. Their defense was way better last year. Oh, without a doubt. Their secondary especially. And Cousins was thrown 70% completion rate, 4,000 yards passing. So... I actually feel like Minnesota was better last year. Now, you give me those other four teams, and I could make a case for all of them sure. in the NFC. AFC-wise, obviously, there's Baltimore and Kansas City. I'm not <laughs> – you have to put New England in the mix, but they're not in my top six teams. And I – if it wasn't for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, I would even have – I'd have them more in Philadelphia land. Of course. Right now. Yeah. And I'm just uh, not a believer in Houston, Tennessee, and Buffalo either. I mean, I, I legitimately see – Six teams that I would ride with. I would put money on them 
to win the Super Bowl in some way, shape, or form. I wouldn't touch Houston. I wouldn't touch Tennessee, New England, Buffalo. I wouldn't touch Minnesota or Philadelphia. Well, if you're going to ride with one team, because I'm going to need you to get off the fence for a second. I already here did, Kansas NFC. City. Okay, but, but I'm saying from the NFC, though, who's going to the Super Bowl? Oh, uh, I'm not as big a fan of San Francisco as everybody else is uh, right now. I actually feel like they've leaked a bit of oil, but that was an impressive performance uh, in Seattle. Yeah. It really was. Yep. Seattle does not have the horses like the rest of these teams do. So I'm more of a Packers New Orleans guy, mm. and I actually feel like Packers have go- gone under the radar to a degree, okay. given their Ratings record. are starting to go up in Iowa, Wisconsin no, right I, now. I see you, Brent. I do, because yeah. I don't think people have, you know, people kind of dismiss the whole Packer thing. One, because Rodgers in his career has only been once. Yeah. As brilliant as he's been, we've almost gotten used to, hey, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is awesome, but Sure. He's just got the one. And then LaFleur, Ashland University guy, by the way, for a year. <laughs> uh, you know, that whole thing to start the year was, yeah. oh, they're not going to be able to get along, not going to be able to win big. Sure. There's this young guy. And really, how many young guys well, win big? And well, to be McVay. fair, coming from Tennessee, too, it was like, was he really that dynamic in Tennessee when he was there? Yeah. You know? Question so there was question mark. So, so I feel like people, I, I don't know if it's just me and what I read or in general, I feel like they've taken a backseat to everybody else in the NFC in terms of the teams. Of the four teams, I feel like they're the, the fourth one people talk about. Sure. But I actually think their defense is pretty good, and Rodgers is so damn good, yeah. I wouldn't bet against them. Sure. So... But I actually go back to New Orleans. New Orleans is the most complete team, in my view. I I don't think there's any other way to say it. That doesn't mean they're going, Mm -hmm. but they're the most complete team. It doesn't matter. You could put five people on Michael Thomas, and he'd still catch 12 passes. Yeah. Drew Brees is is still playing at such an elite level, and they have the horses on the other side of the football. They have – you talk about matchups. We saw it here in Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. But if they want to shut you down on the outside, they'll throw Lattimore on a guy. Mm -hmm. You know, Jordan is playing fantastic football, and always does, but he's – Still playing fantastic football. And you know what? It's the other guy from Brandon, Mississippi, that has been unreal. That nobody, I hadn't even really heard of hardly before this year when I went and did the story in Brandon. Yeah. And it's Demario Davis is having an unbelievable year at linebacker. Yep. So they are really strong, I think, all around, man. I, I really like the Saints. I like the Saints and the Chiefs yep. going into this thing. And I still believe the Chiefs are going to find a way to do it, even with Andy Reid. So, first of all, <laughs> did, did LaFleur, did he actually he went to Ashland for a year? He, he was uh, on the coaching staff at Ashland for a year. Okay. And then he hated that much he had to leave, huh? He was like, no, no, I, I think get he, me out of here. That's where a place where legends go <laughs> and become stars somewhere else. Kind of like me. Fair enough. Okay, fair enough then. Um, <laughs> listen, we're, we're talking about the NFC, and my Super Bowl winner is going to actually come from the NFC. And it's going to be the winner that I picked in the beginning of the season before the season even started. And that's the New Orleans Saints. Because when I break them down, there is so many ways that the Saints can beat you. I I get it. We always get caught up in this Drew Brees, Michael Thomas stuff because guess what? It's legit. Like you said, Brent, nobody can stop Michael Thomas. I don't care if you put Stephen Gilmore on Michael Thomas. He's still getting his 10 catches. He's just that good of a football player. And Drew Brees is that good of a quarterback. And then we look at their other passing game. Yeah, maybe their two-receiver is hurting a little bit. Torrey Smith, Ted Ginn Jr., but you got Jared Cook. You, you have another Pro Bowl at the tight end position, which could be a game-changer, especially in the playoffs. And then you got Alvin Kamara, who kind of went a little quiet this season, is really surging at the end, so they can run the ball anytime they want as well. But when I look in the playoffs and I look at what kind of sets the team over the edge, right? Like, what about the Seahawks? What about the Eagles? 
they don't have that X factor, you know. And I talk about the X factor in terms of coaching, like that little wrinkle that you throw out there sometimes where teams aren't really ready, they're not ready to expect it. Well, the Seahawks are devastated, injured out of the running back position. They got Marshawn Lynch coming off the couch now, playing you know as a starting running back for the Seahawks. So. They don't really have another wrinkle. They're probably going to be passing a lot, obviously. The Eagles, devastated by injury, don't have that wrinkle. Vikings, nah, not really a wrinkle. The New Orleans Saints, Taysom Hill is that wrinkle. you know. And we talk about wrinkles, too. I think the 49ers, w- with an offensive-minded coach, they have the wrinkles as well. But I just think with the Saints... With a fullback. With the fullback, exactly. What's his last name? Good luck. Yeah. Another one of those guys in Baltimore let go away. He was a four-time pro bowler. Hey, put some more vowels in your name next time. Thank you. But So from that perspective, though, Brent, I got to roll with the Saints, man. Listen, I'm not trying to be a Green Bay Packers hater. I'm sure the ratings are spiraling right now back in Wisconsin because I'm not picking the Packers. I like the Packers, man, okay? Now, I didn't pick them to win the division this year, but I like them. And obviously, Aaron Rodgers is hard to count out. But when you look at the Green Bay Packers, and if you really want to watch that last game against the Lions, I think they got a little bit exposed where it's like, you know what? Set aside from Devontae Adams, who do they really have? Because Jimmy Graham... Dude, it's not the old Jimmy Graham from the Seahawks. It's not the old no. Jimmy Graham from from the Saints, right? You got Mercedes Lewis there as his backup. And in the running game, yeah, it's good. You had Aaron Jones and everything like that. But I think, especially in the NFC, you need to have that more dynamic offense. You need to be more explosive. I don't think Green Bay has that. So I'm taking the Saints. Yeah, it's a good call. Uh, with the, I, I like the Saints football team, really do. Yeah. And you, and you, I can guarantee you this, the Saints are going to get calls in this postseason. Storylines. <laughs> How's that for a storyline after last season against the Rams as well? Yeah, they yeah. will definitely get They will definitely get a call or two. Yeah. Um, I, I just It's funny, we're talking about this. Literally in the last 10 minutes, I just got a um, an email, and, and this happens from time to time, just with, with some wild card prop bets. Oh. So here you go. Ready? I'm going to ask you. Hit me with them. Will Mike Vrabel and Bill Belichick hug on field after game? <laughs> uh, you know what? By the way, no. the favorite is no, minus no, 140. Yes, absolutely you can not. Win 100, put 100 on it, you can win 100. Oh, let's go, let's go. Uh, if you say yes. I'm going to send you my PayPal account. Let's get some of these bets going. No, they're absolutely not going to hug. You know why? Because they're two high-intense, uh, prideful individuals. And if one of them loses, which it's going to happen, obviously, it's the playoffs, they're going to be ticked off. There's no way they're going to hug after the game. They're going to shake hands and walk off and be but like, get out of here. would this be one of those awkward Bill Belichick moments? Like, if he's so happy that he wins because he knows his team's like whatever sure. and they're not good enough that he kind of like tries to go for the embrace, but it's really awkward looking. Yeah. And I don't know how that would be detected in Vegas. Like, is that really a hug? He went for the hug, but Brent, he didn't actually hug. Oh, no, no. To me, it's got to be like a full grasp. It's going like, to be a bro hug. It's going to be like it's getting not, drafted with commission. It's not going to be a bro hug, though, because remember, Vrabel came out and said, I think it was on that podcast talking about what Jalen Ramsey, uh, what was it, busting with the boys or whatever from Taylor Lewan? When they had Brave on, he said that he would cut off his you know what to win a Super Bowl. Any guy that says that is not right in the head. So, no, no he's not going to hug Belichick after the game. Yeah. Hopefully there's no live video of that. <laughs> uh, will CBS in game broadcast show Mike Vrabel playing for the Patriots? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, what, the, what is by the way, you got to drop 100. You got If you lose it, you lose 200. It's minus 200. Oof, yeah. Plus 150. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're they're gonna come show. on. Yeah, they have to, right? Yep, absolutely. That's e- yeah, it's easy. Yeah. Uh, highest scoring team in the wild card playoffs. Now remember, you don't have San Francisco, you don't have Green Bay, you don't have the Chiefs, and you don't have the Ravens. Yeah. So, highest scoring team. This is interesting because the odds Saints are the odds on favorite at three to one. That makes sense. Sure. I'm gonna give you, Bills are ten to one. That makes sense to me. Texans nine to one, Vikings seven to one, Titans five to one, Eagles five to one, Seahawks nine to two. But interestingly enough, the Patriots are seven to two. 
people want to you like they're just trying to get people being stupid. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Haven't watched the Patriots play. Brady, yeah, because the Patriots are not this answer. I know. You know who the you know here's the sne- you want to make money. Here's the sneaky answer. Hit me with it. What do you got? The Texans. Oh man, it depends if Will Fuller plays. And, and I know that's a crazy thing to say, but if Will Fuller is out, now listen, the Buffalo defense is, is very good, so I get why. But I'm just saying turnovers. The one thing about wild this wild card weekend, usually you get one of those blowout games. Sure. And it's all about turnovers because everybody likes to play conservative. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the trains just falls off the track. Yeah. And I, I could see Houston already can be dynamic. They, they can. can. Uh, but. Uh, and uh, going against the Bills, Eve, I would take, I think I would take the Texans because of the money, yeah. the value, okay. the value there. Like, okay. uh, I mean, even three to one Saints makes a lot of sense. Seahawks could be one, too, though. That wouldn't be bad. That's nine to two. I because just, the Eagles yeah. are so beat up on defense. But I, I just think weather aside as well, like you don't know what it's going to be like yeah, in Philly. Fair. I think in the Dome in New Orleans, you got to like that shot. Yeah. Um, so who are you taking? Saints. Saints. Oh, you take oh, yeah. Saints all day. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have to lay a lot of money to win something. <laughs> what do you want me to do, man? I just, uh, you asked me that. This ask is why question. I'm a bad gambler. I, I go for the so. odds. Yeah, give me the Texans. Let's go. <laughs> give me something that probably yeah. won't work, but it would pay off a lot. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> that would not be good. Uh, all right. Hey, when we come back, take a quick break. When we come back, uh, a little venture into college football before we finish with the NFL. The dumbest rule in sports. I don't know if you caught my tirade on twitter last weekend now okay uh and bowl season tax layer gator bowl here in town tonight i have mixed thoughts on the bowl season but there's one overriding thought and it's reality i have one more prop bet for you right now oh yeah what you got how much money would you put on that coach belichick's son's gonna cut that hair and someone's gonna say you better cut it pretty soon have you seen his hair lately you think he cuts it before the super bowl no. Can keep it rolling. Have to. Oh, man. Well, because that means they're winning. Right? You can't cut it if you're I, I winning. It's not, this isn't hockey, though, is it? That's nah, close enough. <laughs> All right. We'll be back. ESPN 690. You know, it's really nice that I was able to close, you know, together we were able to close out, I think, what, 33 or 34, which is pretty gnarly. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I couldn't have done it without without Maddie and, and without Logan and, and the other guys blocking for me. So, you know, I'm super, super pleased with the season. You know, there's missed one too many. Um, you know, so hopefully the, uh, the media will realize that all pro isn't a fan vote, and hopefully I'll get some recognition. So, I mean, obviously Justin Tucker is, he's the best there is, but not this season, so... That's more Josh Lambo. What is going on with Josh Lambo? He's just saying it how it is, man. I guess. Kicker swag, man. I like it. A little kicker confrontation. I noticed that. Was that a Christmas gift for you, or do you always have the uh, the Uh-oh, the iPhone cover that you can put the credit cards in? Oh, I always have that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, cause do you I, like that? I love it because I, I lose my wallet all the time. So this is helps me out. All right. Are you thinking about getting one? I was just curious. Yeah. I saw it earlier. Check it out, Mac. I can fit four cards in here. So so that's all you can fit in there. Like, no cash. So, like, you don't have cash? Uh, I mean, I don't carry cash on me. I, I suppose you could fit some cash in there if you use your imagination. Okay. But you know me, man. I'm rocking the credit cards now. I'm feeling like a big dog, so. Yeah, that's right. I mean, how many yeah. do you have? I only have one. I was going to say, you went yeah. from none to, like, four. No, no, I only have one. The other one's like a gift card that I got from work, actually, here. Yeah. And then my ID and then my debit card. That's cool. Yeah. So you really only need, like, I got a couple. I've got an American Express and a Visa. Sure. Visa? Everywhere yeah. you want to be. We're yeah. American Express. I don't so, know. I don't know credit cards, obviously. Uh, and then I got my license, so that would be three things. Then I got 
probably a bunch of garbage in there. Like, yeah. well, not garbage because I got like a Costco card. Okay, that's important. Well, I'm just gonna say, as far as the durability though, don't drop your phone on its on the screen because it's not gonna protect that. Because I, I, as you've seen, I've probably had about. Seven rate screen replacements this year or yeah. this past year. There's a reason so. you're a defensive guy. You've got fumbleitis. I do. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> thought I could take that a different direction, but yeah, I guess you can be maybe I'm a little careless and a little aggressive, but um, at least I'm not throwing it anymore like I used to uh, when I get upset with the Milwaukee Brewers or uh, college football. I like so. that. That yeah. happened to me over the vacation the holiday break i don't know if you were involved in any of my texts going back and forth but i completely oh yeah you destroyed did. my iphone x man can you make it more durable please Who, are you uh, are you a buy the insurance guy or no oh i got one on the insurance claim it is on the way here now oh so you do buy the insurance i have i have not had a phone successfully live until i had like an upgrade yeah. ability they never make it that's, never uh, that's where i'm at too so you buy the insurance well it's my I'm on my wife's cell phone plan. Not a big deal. Uh, I'm still a big boy, but I'm still on my parents. So. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 that's that's like my cousin because he's on his parents' cell phone hey, plan. It's cheaper that way, right? Thank you. If I was still on my mom's cell phone plan. I'd have a flip phone. <laughs> <laughs> Dial up, yeah. But yeah, so they moved me back to a, a seven for a temporary, and it's rose gold, and I've I've been well, kind of like self conscious about it for a while. Uh, it kind of fits. I might be upgrading to the eleven soon. Okay, we'll see. Okay, but I won't buy the insurance. Oh no, no you got to get the insurance. But I will say, like, even the they have a deductible. It was one hundred fifty bucks. That's what I mean. The insurance is the. I don't know. I'm not don't take t- my tell chances. it to my wife. Don't tell it to me. I don't run the plan. Yeah. So I, I mean, insurance. so be honest. Do you ever like break your cell phones though? Or are you pretty? I've been pretty good. I, yeah. I broke. Uh, you know what I did to one of them? Because um, I always put it in my back pocket. Oh, and, Brent, and so, you're, right. You're a wild card man. You can't do that. Why you not? Because you sit down. Aha! Uh-huh, very good yeah. point. And so what happened is, I was actually, I, I think at this one time that I noticed it, I was uh, playing golf, and okay. so I was sitting in a golf cart. And the Uh-oh. old like eight plus that I had sure. actually bent. Yeah. So nice. like I had bent it. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't even know that was possible. I, well, yeah. On it's the, science. On the X, I dropped a forty-five pound weight on it, and it was definitely bent. <laughs> I've done that before too, as well. Probably a little more weight than forty-five pounds. But I funny, did the same thing. Funny no about the phones. There's two things that happen with the phones. I'm convinced. One, I used to get better cell phone signal or service. Yeah. When they first came out, yeah, I think each time it's gotten worse, yeah, which is weird. Are we going backwards? <laughs> like it used to be. A, Can you hear me now? Was the the famous commercial, right? But and then it got good for so like I went to the point where now like with cell phones you should never yeah. like it, a oh, call no, should drop a, out. Never. Anything in no Volano Beach, you're, you're SOL. There's no service over there. But that's unbelievable. That's my point. It's like it shouldn't drop out. I mean, I, I love your technology. No, I don't I know how you, we man. fix this, but I don't know how anything drops out unless you're Cars like can in the drive back themselves in the woods now. Let's go. You know? Like yeah. Swanee River or something yeah, like that. I mean, yeah. I can see if you're like you know, I go to Asheville next week and I'm up in the Blue Ridge Mountains or something. I could see it not working. I yeah, get it. Yeah. But like when I'm at my house, it should it should go in and out. No, I absolutely agree with you. And also the battery as well. Like the battery over time gets like the lithium yeah. battery. Yeah. Yep. Let's just invent a battery that lasts back. forever. Yeah. But uh, really, what I was going to say, the other thing is nobody gets the phone anymore for anything but the camera. It feels like, like this yeah, whole I mean, eleven push. It's all about the camera, right? See, I just need to be able to edit things, which could potentially be the camera because I need photos to edit photos. So in a way, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can edit yeah. on like you can edit on iMovie. I do a lot of stuff for sometimes we'll put on TV with this just like straight video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But 
and you can do it. I'm just saying, I think people upgrade their phones now, myself included. Sure. For the newest and latest and greatest phone. And I didn't, I mean, I'm sorry, a camera. In and the I phone. didn't think it was that bi- that big of a difference. But then when they moved me back to a seven, and you know, New Year's, we're taking photos and stuff like that. I was like, this is noticeably worse yeah, than yeah. than the new stuff. I was like, I because I do like that next plan, which means I probably pay like five million dollars for my phone, just never stops. <laughs> sure. But I yeah. can get the next, uh, like every year, I yep. get the upgrade. So I kind of like the plan. But yeah. Brent's um, really going for the cell phone endorsement right now, man. I appreciate it. I see what you're doing <laughs> I, I've been dropping names here. <laughs> That it's an iPhone. Hey, well, iPhone Apple's up? probably not listening Apple, to the show. <laughs> um, but uh, that's one that it's probably going to take a while to get the Apple endorsement. <laughs> but uh, I, what was I saying about it? Oh, Sorry. the 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 camera. Yeah. Um, I I mean that's all about the camera now for sure. me. Like that's the only thing like I even upgrade. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then when I went to the what's this the ten X the are you I, the ten X? Yeah, I had the X. The iPhone X. Yeah. And then there was the XS. Okay, well, whatever one it was, it's really no different than the 8. Okay, good to know. Like, this, seriously, it's no different. Like, maybe a little bit of a, maybe the camera has one more little element or sure. filter or feature or I whatever. I think you lost that, like, little home button in the middle, too, I think. Yes, with you the, did. With the X. You did. But I, I really didn't see much of a difference between the 8 and the 10. Okay. They're scamming us. Good to know. Well, I mean, I've had, yeah, this is like, I think a 7, and you know my laptop. Now, the 7 to 8, well, the 8's an upgrade yeah, over the 6 and 7. I don't know how you're dealing with a 7. I'm going crazy I'm over doing, here. I'm doing just fine, thanks. Um, with my laptop, though, you know, it's different, because my laptop's from 2010, okay? Yeah. And it, it's taken some blows. It's taken some <laughs> drops. I've had to replace the battery a couple of times, so I finally took it in today to, like, a professional, because I was doing it on my own. I was changing out the battery on my own Well, I wasn't doing something right. So my laptop is dead now. I take it in uh, to the, like the, the iPhone store, but they also do um, laptops. And I'm like, all right, man, shoot me straight. Do I need a new laptop, or can we do something here to get it back running? He's like, well, it just so happens the 2010 model, what you have, the MacBook Pro, is considered like the tank of MacBook Pros. So he said, all we need is a new battery, another new part. 100 bucks later, and you're as good as new. I'm like, sweet, let's pull the trigger on that. So I'm excited, man, because like, this thing's going on, well, it's over 10 years old now. That's and impressive. It's, and it's still kicking, man. I it, must it have had the tank. 2009 or 11. I think I have the 9. <laughs> I, have the, I had the, uh, the white one that was like almost plastic before oh, yeah. it moved to all. I, I, yeah, I ended up getting my mom that for uh, for Christmas. Uh, I just know I've had, I'm on number three of the decade, so I didn't have the 2010. <laughs> I'll get the 2010, Either man. Either that or I didn't go to the right shop. <laughs> get the 2010, man. It's like a, well, it's like a dependable car. Like a Honda Accord, right? Civic. Honda Civic, thank you. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Brennan rolls around in Rolls Royces. He doesn't know. That's right. So it's <laughs> talking about Tax Layer Gator Bowl. Uh, yeah. A news on that. That's coming up tonight, 7 o'clock, of course, uh, right here in Jacksonville. And I think they're excited about this one, Indiana, Tennessee. I know. For, I don't think from a rating standpoint it'll be like, oh, my gosh, i got to watch that sh- that game. But there aren't a lot of games uh, today anyway, I don't sure. believe. And from a heads and beds and people coming down, I, I heard the lower bowl was was sold out pretty early. So tax aggregator bowl, uh, this turns out to be a good one. It's the Big Ten against the SEC, yeah. and there's been this SEC Big Ten ACC kind of alignment. Well, they just made an announcement that through 2025, now it'll be SEC ACC. So the Big Ten part of it's going away. Oh dang! Uh, so it's SEC ACC. So you're not going to get Wisconsin down here. But that's, uh, that's a good yeah. little translation uh, transition because I believe, and and this is no disrespect to Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. I'm talking from on the grand landscape around here. Uh, I don't mind going to the Gator Bowl. I think the 
The players enjoy it. We talked to Josh Dobbs. Yep. Uh, we've had several people on about it. They love going to these games, and there is something about it. But we do know there are a lot of bowl games, and there are less and less people going. Georgia-Baylor yesterday, because they're going to have the championship game in New Orleans, I think, mm-hmm. that Georgia-Baylor game had like not a lot of people there yeah. in the Dome in New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl, and mm-hmm. that's a, a premier that's game. A very prestigious one. It got me thinking that really the game outside of the college football semifinals and the championship game, because that's what that has done to this, is it's really made three games prominent, mm-hmm. and the rest are like exhibitions. And again, I don't mind. I don't mind it being on TV. It's good to watch something. I'm not super locked in, but it's okay. It's good background, or or maybe you will lock into one of your games. So I'm not dismissing all these people that say, oh, it's too many bowl games. Well, you know what? Then don't watch them, right? That's a yeah. simple answer. But I do believe there's only one other game that really rivals the semis and the championship game in terms of people that feel still big, and that's the Rose Bowl. I kind of felt like that. (coughs) Yeah, I know they lost 28-27, but good game. No, you're right. Did you get the sense, if you watched that one at all, you got the sense that had some importance to it. It did. It it felt way bigger than the Georgia-Baylor game. It felt way bigger than the Minnesota game. Mm -hmm. Even the Michigan-Alabama felt way bigger. Now, it's the the Rose Bowl, and even their attendance has started to dwindle a bit Relatively speaking, they still get about 90,000. But I felt like in this bowl season, while you have all this stuff and, hey, if you want to watch a game or, or whatever you want to do with the bowls, that's fine. However you feel about them. There's these two semifinals and one was outstanding with Clemson, yep. Ohio State. Uh, it was on the right day and the championship game should be really good. And outside of that, the one game I re- I'll remember and say, you know what, still feels like it's important. It feels like I need to be at my TV for yeah. is the Rose Bowl. And I completely agree with you, Brent. And I think we talk about the Rose Bowl. It's the fact that, and I found out about this because I wasn't hung over for the first time in a decade on New Year's Day. They have the parade leading up to it, right? Like It's like this big prestigious event like where you tune in. All right, it's the Tournament of Roses parade. And then it goes on from there and there. And they call it the granddaddy of them all. Like, hey, that's a pretty sweet nickname for a bowl game, the granddaddy of them all. I'll take that. So from that perspective yeah i feel like the rose bowl is kind of like the last um little hurrah before like the, the little playoff game starts so I, yeah. I, I agree with you there so anyway that's, i got thinking of that that's yeah. what i was thinking I, i'm not sitting here breaking that was a good win by florida yeah. it was a bad loss by florida state but at the end of the day i'm not really sure what any of it means georgia sure. i thought it was a good win nice performance yeah. yesterday uh by Fromm and company with a lot of guys out uh justin herbert really played well in that game yeah. uh, in the rose bowl I, again, if one game means you drop, you jumped up 15 spots because he played really well, I don't understand the scouting of that. That doesn't yeah. make sense. He's got three years of work. Yep. And if we're putting too much into one game, that's a dangerous deal. Uh, although I will say, like back in the day, I remember when Justin Blackman, Oklahoma State, I watched him in the bowl game. I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. That guy is tremendous. Yep. Like I hadn't watched a lot of Oklahoma State, and that was the time I saw. I was like, wow. Yeah. Um, and it was wow for a little bit. But <laughs> – so that's kind of bowl season. I mean, now we go. We'll we'll talk Clemson well, and, and um, who else playing LSU? LSU. Clemson, LSU, and in, in, and we got eight days to do that one sure. because that's become like the Super Bowl. Now they take a week off. Yeah. <laughs> well, and here's the one I want to ask you. You know, and it's like you said, the takeaways from these bowl games can you really do much? Obviously, Wisconsin, in my opinion, got screwed, but I'm a homer and we don't have to get into it. But I that was a bad call, by the way. The offensive pass interference? That was a bad call. Come on. But still, your Badgers turned it over four times, man. Oh, I understand that. At the end of the day, the Wisconsin band was way bad. Did you watch the band, the band I off? I saw what you tweeted. Yeah, but did you see Or? Hey, I, I did. 
Oregon looked like a bunch of flight attendants at an airport in their uniforms. They looked like absolute. Hey, and where's the camera? Absolute trash, Oregon band. Step your game up a little bit. And do you know about the Stanford band real quick? Do you know their old shindig? No. So Wisconsin played Stanford a couple years ago in the Rose Bowl, and one of my uh, friends actually played in the Wisconsin band, so I kind of got the four and one. Well, the Stanford band is, like, known as an alternative band, so, like, they literally, like, the drummers, you know, they play, like, the, the toms. Well, there was a girl playing the kitchen sink, like, literally like a kitchen sink. Like, they don't care. Like, their whole shtick is... We're in band, but we don't really care. We're kind of too cool for everything. We're going to be different. Yeah, yeah, and that's Stanford, man. But, yeah, the Wisconsin band's pretty cool. But, anyways, I got sidetracked a little bit. My biggest takeaway from from these bowl games so far, Brent, and I'm talking more about Oklahoma and more about Baylor. Man, you, you want to talk about a conference getting exposed, especially their top talent getting exposed from their offensive point of view? Yeah, sure, you got Oklahoma, who's a very dynamic offense. Baylor had one of the most high-powered offenses of all, of all college football. But when you go against SEC opponents or Power 5 opponents that aren't in the Big 12, dude, it's a step up, man. And I don't know if that's more of because in the Big 12 they prefer to play zone, whatever it is. But that Oklahoma-LSU game, it, it was very evident that, you know what, the defense and, – and we didn't talk about LSU's defense all year, did we? No, it was all about Joe Burrows and their offense. Yeah. But it was evident that Oklahoma was not ready for that kind of defense, that kind of corner play. Yeah, and that defense isn't unbelievable. Yeah. It's not like one of the premier defenses in the SEC. Yeah. Now they'll knock you down because of all that. You got to keep up scoring wise, so sure. you get opportunities. But it's not like the LSU defense has been unbelievable all season long. So yeah, I get your point. Uh, the Big Twelve, even Texas, Texas, who comes away with a big win, you're like, okay, then why were they seven and five? Yeah. You know, bowl season's weird like that. So you well, can't put too much stock in bowl wins, bowl losses. It, it's it's a lot of it to me. It's got a little bit like late. Uh, NFL games yeah. where, where everybody's out of it, kind of like the Colts-Jags game, mm-hmm. or even almost like a preseason game. You really don't know who's going to show up, who's going to be motivated. I found it. I, I respect the teams that are motivated to play in that game. I, I usually think that's really good coaching. Like I think Kirby Smart did a good job. You can knock him for last year, but he there's no doubt. Even with some of the people out there saying uh, they get they're not going to care about this game, oh, no, they got a lot of people not showing up. Yeah. They were playing to win. They were ready to play, and with a lot of backups in there too. Um, I think that speaks to some good coach and having those guys ready to go. I absolutely agree. I, I guess my biggest takeaway, though, and and I got to thinking about this last night, actually, was like, so the, the Big 12. It's obviously, it's a different conference overall. Like, I, I can compare the Big 10 to the SEC. Yeah, maybe yeah. there's a lot more talent in the SEC, but they still believe in playing defense, right? Um, you know, some offense are better than others, but like, to me, like, the Big 12 is the outlier, okay? It's just, it's a different style of ball. And from the perspective of, all right, Kingsbury last year, for instance, he was the big coach, right? Like, every, I mean, he, everyone's talking about, all right, it's a Kingsbury, it's a Kingsbury. He goes to Arizona. Didn't really have the best record, but he goes to Arizona. We'll see how Arizona does going forward. We were not really sure yet. We have a small sample size. We'll see. But I guess my question to you, Brennan, Matt Rule can't really be qualified for this thing if he was to go to the NFL, if he was to go to the Giants or go to the Cowboys, because he hasn't been in the Big 12 for that long, right? But, like, my question to you is, do you kind of have to pump the brakes a little bit, even though it's an offensive-minded league in the NFL? Do you have to pump the brakes on Big 12 coaches just because it is such a different style of playing? Yeah, it's a good call. I think rule is a little different, though, because they do play defense. Like yeah, yeah. Baylor actually played defense this year. And like I said, then, I mean, he was coming from Temple, so he, he hasn't been in the Big 12 for long. Yeah, but I think that you're – Lincoln Riley, do you – do you step back and say, okay, he had all these Heisman Trophy guys and this prolific offense, but is he, I mean, should he be going to the Dallas Cowboys? Should we be like just drooling over Lincoln yeah. Riley? Well, maybe you'd say no to that, but the answer is, well, why was everybody over Cliff, Cliff 
Kingsbury, he didn't even have a winning record at Texas Tech, and he got an NFL job. Sure. So in that comparison, I would say, yeah, I'd be drooling all over Lincoln Riley too. So I don't, I don't really put on the coaches to spin your conversation. The one I always talk about is the quarterbacks. Yeah. And I take Big Twelve quarterbacks with a little bit of a grain of salt. It's like, prove it to me. Now, Baker Mayfield looked like he was going to be the guy. Sure. Hasn't the last couple of years. The one guy that's really changed that, and there's probably more now, but Mahomes is, Patrick Mahomes, is yeah. definitely the outlier there. He is. But if you go back and look at Big 12 quarterbacks as a whole, and we've had this discussion before, yeah. it's not great. From yeah. the Sam Bradfords of the world. Robert Griffins. To the Robert Griffin. You know, again, there but are moments. A, yeah. there, there are, but... You know, even think about the great quarterbacks in the league right now, right? What Drew Brees was Purdue guy, sure, right? Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is a Cal guy. There's a Tom lot. Brady, Big Ten, Big Ten, uh, Tom Brady. But but even for a long time, great quarterbacks came from like these small schools. Yeah, that, that hardly people. Uh, Tony Romo, there's sure. like Eastern Illinois yeah. or something like that. Yep. So. Uh, I, I think I might have just said great quarterbacks and Tony Romo. That might have been a little bit of a stretch. But, like, but yeah, you yeah, get my yeah, point. I got your point. So I just don't – this new style of Big 12 that we've seen over the last decade where they opened everything up, and they do it to a degree in the Pac-12, I think, too, but there's oh, yeah. different – there's contrasting styles in the Pac-12. you got one, Utah, well, Stanford has been a pro-style team. Like Gardner Minshew is in that kind of the boat, right? And then you have Washington State, who yeah. looks like they belong in the Big 12. Sure, correct, right? yes. So you have a little bit more of a mix – in the Big 12, it's a track meet every time, mm-hmm. and I don't think I don't know if it translates from a coaching standpoint. I just don't know. I don't think it translates well as a quarterback thing, and, mm-hmm. and I always have question marks about Big 12 quarterbacks, right or wrong. Yeah. I just usually have a question mark about that, and, it, and history has shown that it hasn't been great coming out of the Big 12. Well, one last question for you with, with the, the college football season. This is more related to the Rose Bowl, and listen. We, I think you and I both agree that Jacksonville Jaguars, they don't need a quarterback right now, right? But Well, it, here's the thing. I don't know if they don't need one. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they're not investing in one. They're not they traded the fifth-round pick. Yeah. They've got a sixth-round pick they think they like, yeah. and they have $88 million tied up in another one. Exactly. But one could argue if, if um, the regime staying here kind of helped that decision out, too, a little bit. I think if True. a new regime comes in, it differences. But Justin Herbert, you know, this was a guy last year, Justin Herbert out of Oregon, was supposed to be the number one quarterback taken in the draft. Now, whether that was going to be true or not, we have no idea. Justin Herbert opts to stay another year. He wins the Rose Bowl, had a pretty good showing, showed he's really mobile, which I, I mean, I knew he was fast, but he was impressive with his legs against the Badgers. But my question to you is, do you think he hurt, helped, or did it stay the same of his draft stock by staying another year? I think it's pretty similar. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I, I don't know if that says more about the rest of the field and maybe sure. like even a Tua who's well, that shaking was my up. Next point, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think it's pretty similar. Okay. Uh, and I got to be honest with you, man. I'm not in love with the guy. Me neither. And I, we get uh, college football has opened our eyes to this. We want gaudy numbers, right? Sure. And so, like Jonathan Taylor, two straight two thousand yard seasons. Those yeah. are gaudy numbers. Like mm-hmm. it's only happened one other time. I think it was Troy Davis, Iowa State, back in the nineties. But to me, that doesn't also automatically mean he's going to be a great pro. Correct. Well, in the quarterback position, we do get caught up in gaudy numbers, and we say, like, well, I don't want that guy if he couldn't throw for 4,000 yards and 45 touchdowns. I mean, look at Justin Fields. He's thrown 40 touchdowns in one pick. Yeah. He's going to be a great pro. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't yeah. know. I I think, you know, it's a little bit like college basketball in the NBA. Sometimes we'll see a third-best player on a college basketball team become the best player in the NBA out of those three guys. Yeah. You know, so I, I think it's, a, well, it's what makes it hard, mm-hmm. but... I probably fall into the trap on Herbert. I'm like, I didn't watch him every game, but I kind of expected more from him. Yeah. When I watch him, the eye test is like, 
that looks pretty average. Sure. But does his game, does his smarts, does his ability to read all those things, read defenses? Yeah. Do, do all those add IQ. up? Do, do yeah. they add up better in the NFL? And his his mobility, even though he's not like lightning fast, but he can move a bit. Mm-hmm. Does his skill set add up better to the NFL when he's surrounded with a lot of good players and that style of off? Maybe it does. Sure. I'm just telling you, it's hard for me to buy into it. But I also don't think his stock really changed much. All right, the, gotcha. the conversation I wanted to get to, the targeting. This is something that's bothered me for a while. Mm-hmm. The targeting. I have no problem with targeting, trying to clean up the game. But this is the Sean Wade play uh, over the weekend. Um, and he hits yeah. Lawrence, and it's a huge play in the game. And you uh, know what? I'm not debating the play in the game. He should have been flagged. It should have been a first down. It should have changed the momentum of the game. My debate is he should not be ejected from the game. Especially when Trevor Lawrence lowers his head. Well, it, it, you know what? I really think what they're trying to do is say they want to get this out of the game. Understood. I get what you're saying. You've been doing it for three years, and I can't even hear coaches arguing about it because I think they've been mandated not to to try to take it out of the game. Understand player safety. I think it should be first and foremost. I also believe they don't want to put it into the officials' hands to say, I want you to judge this. Was it malicious or not? They don't want to do that. But my belief is let common sense ring rule the day. Mm-hmm. And I think nine out of ten times we can tell what malicious intent is and what it's not. And if you get it right the one t- wrong the one time, well, then so be it. But I just hate the idea that a guy that's going in for a sack and maybe doesn't lead with his shoulder instead but hits with the crown of his helmet and also that player ducks and it's a moving target, but there is no malicious intent. He's just trying to make a football play. He's gone for the game. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I don't know what we're – are we real – do the numbers show that we're we're saving the health of the players? Like, have we have, – are people learning about it right now? Like, is Sean Wade never going to make that play again because he got ejected? Maybe they. Maybe that's true. Yeah. I don't know. But I haven't seen enough evidence to say that. And I think some of the stupidity of, of the logic here – is just ejecting these guys from a game. It doesn't add up. I think they should get two personal fouls or unsportsmanlike, and if it's the un- if it's a second one, you're out. Yeah. Uh, and at least you give these guys a little bit of leeway. It's a hard thing to do, man. You're trying to play a million miles an hour, even if we're in a slow-motion world. Mm-hmm. So I hate it. I just absolutely well, hate it. I think it's the dumbest rule in sports, the way they police it. Again, not the targeting call in 15 yards. I'm talking about the automatic ejection is the dumbest rule in sports we have going right now. And, you know, when we refer to that one targeting call that you're talking about, that guy's from Jacksonville, right? The guy yes. that got, yeah. yeah. Um, when you refer to that targeting call, like, if you go in the rule book and you see what it's stated, technically, okay, you could call it targeting. But I guess here's my issue with it. If you go to an NFL locker room, Brent, and you you ask players, what do you prefer to have your position coach be, a former player or a guy that never played the game at all? They're obviously going to say a former player because, you know, they understand the game a little more, right? They know what you're going through themselves. Well, the same thing can be said for the officials that are making up these rules because any official that made up that targeting rule, Brent, could not have played football. There's no way because he would understand that the game is so fast. And what you're asking these kids to do is damn near impossible, okay, especially that call with Trevor Lawrence, man. Like, he was lowering his head. It's just it's hard for me to explain because it's just it, it's such a fast game, right? And and I get some penalties regarding the pass interference calls, and I get it. It's an offensive-driven kind of thing. We got to keep guys healthy, all that stuff. Okay, fine. But there comes a point in making rules where you got to ask yourself, are we hampering the players now because we're literally handicapping them? 
Okay, and that's what I feel like this targeting, especially the one against Clemson. That's what it was. You 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 handicapped the guy that was making the hit. You, you want him to literally stop in his tracks to analyze a situation that's happening point one one of a second, and you want him to make a proper tackle and wrap up. That's not how this game works, Brent. It's so fast, and you know more than anybody. You've seen it. You've been on the sidelines. You know how fast those plays happen. It's just it's damn near impossible to ask these kids to not target sometimes with some of these plays. Yeah, so I, I'm trying I, to say. I feel like. Um you know, what we'd want to do is get rid of texting and driving. Sure. Right? Yeah. Well, absolutely. so if you got pulled over, which I think you now can, right, in Ford in 2020? You can get pulled that, over? Right? Yeah. You get pulled over for texting and driving. Yep. So be on the alert. But if if you got pulled over, it'd be like, yeah, you get an automatic year in jail. It's like, no, none of us would sign up for that. That's stupid. That's Correct. dumb, right? Yes. That's, it's, that's a little bit too much of a pen. Well, while it's not apples to apples, my point is the... The punishment doesn't fit the crime yeah. half the time, 75% of the time, maybe 90% of the time in college football with the automatic ejection. And I'll, I'll end it with this because I did on social media too, but this is the one that gets me. It's the kid from Charleston Southern playing in the swamp against Florida. And if you're at Charleston Southern, you get like one shot to play in the swamp, man. You get sure. one shot to play maybe an SEC school. And this is your moment. You're like playing in the SEC. You get the, this it means what, everything, This is what you I've worked for all your life, and you're a linebacker or whatever the kid was. And I'm telling you, man, on the first play of the game, under I think it was the first year of this rule, mm-hmm. first play of the game, he got called for targeting, ejected. Ten seconds into playing in the swamp at Florida for Charleston Southern, this young man that had worked his butt off, mm-hmm. and there was no malicious intent to it. He just, again, it was one of the moving targets, and the head hit head. He's playing football, man. And you know? the guy was gone. Yeah. I mean, I still feel so bad for that kid because that's like your moment. Oh, that's yeah. your Super Bowl. Like, yeah. that's it. Football's over after you're playing at Charleston Southern. But that was your moment you're going to tell your grandkids about and everything else. And you really didn't do anything malicious or, or in, intently wrong except go try to make a tackle yeah. and play the game. And, yeah, you might have led with a head or your head hit the head. I just think that one to me sums it up. I, I would show if I had to talk to a committee in the NCAA, officiating committee, coaches committee, or whoever's ruling this thing, competition committee, I would take that example and be like, this right here is why it should not be an automatic ejection. Yeah. And then I'll show you the five that should be an ejection because there are some times that it should. It's just a dumbass I mean, rule, man. And, and it's a dumbass rule. And I'm just happy that I played football when I did play football because if I would have played nowadays with this targeting rule, Brun, I would have been out half the games, man. Yeah. You know, like, I understand. If it's a targeting and it's on the fence, go ahead and penal- give him a 15-yard penalty. So be it. But don't take the kid out of a game for trying to make a football play, man. Don't yeah. punish the kid and take him out of a game, especially in such a big game, like a, like a playoff game like that. What I would it's like crazy. to see and know, and I'm sure they would probably uh, fudge these statistics just to fit their narrative, but I would like to know if it's gone down. And, and I don't know how that's tracked or followed. I haven't seen anything on that. But is it a is it working? No. And is it policing itself? But man, these big games, these kids, I feel bad for the kids, the teams, the whatever. Oh no, I man, mean, it's, but uh, it's too bad. I I don't think it really cost Ohio State the football game. No, the penalty changed the momentum at the time. But I'm not sure. I thought the kid that came in for Wade actually did a nice job. But it could have cost in the football game. They still had two and a half quarters to play. Uh, all right. When we come back, we'll put a bow on the show. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690 here on a Thursday. I, I give uh, Gardner a ton of credit for what he what he did, where he came from. 
uh, how he handled his business. Um, you know, he got thrust in there week one. It's hard enough for a uh, starting quarterback or a or first round quarterback to take all the reps, and this is a, a young man that didn't get very many reps in the preseason, and um, he ends up having to go in Kansas City game, and, and you know, the rest of it, he, he won more games than any other rookie quarterback, and statistically in, in less games um you know put himself in contention of offensive rookie of the year i think everybody in this room would agree with that that's dave caldwell and gardner Minshew. do you see <laughs> these sports illustrated they didn't even have them on the list i know i saw that offensive rookie of the year i know it's just well, like a panel of nine guys but it just goes to show you they're not watching the jacksonville jaguars play football no they're not but that means you're not doing your job there's 32 freaking nfl teams if you don't know gardner Minshew after his story yep. in the first two months of the year alone and you're not even putting them on a list well then you're you shouldn't be doing your job don't, sure. then don't vote yeah that's the problem right. with voting stuff sometimes is you just don't know what you're talking about yeah then don't do it because again if you want to have josh jacobs kyler murray yeah. in that conversation you feel like they're more deserving that's one thing but how do you not have gardner Minshew right in the middle of it it, it makes no sense so um and, and even they you know, even like Josh Allen, DK I think, Met, was third. Well, they had Metcalf, too, at receiver for possibly. Yeah. And, like, I get easy. He had a good, great season, but come on, man. I was trying to think who they had. Josh Allen was behind. It wasn't only – it was Bosa and then somebody else uh, in between him. And and now I can't even think about it. But either way, uh, Jaguars uh, should have both of those guys at least in the running. I don't think either one will win. I think Bosa has become yeah. – so, Bosa's like the early Heisman guy. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. that then the first two months he's like he's got the Heisman and you have to wrestle it away from him. It doesn't matter what you do. And and I think if you actually did the numbers and I wonder what like pro football focus would say, but if you look at the sack totals and uh the consistency during the year and some of the pressures and then per snap and all that kind of thing, I would I, I bet Josh Allen is either right there with Bosa or even ahead of him. Oh, for sure. Uh, uh, but again, I mean it's Bosa's just, played on a big stage, and he's made some big plays. If, if Joey Bosa wins defensive play, offensive, uh, no, is defensive rookie of the year. Nick Bosa, right? Or is yeah. it Joey? I'm sorry, Nick Bosa. Did I say Joey? Yeah, yeah. Nick Bosa. Nick Bo- if Nick Bosa wins uh, defensive rookie of the year, not only did I say Joey, but then I tried to put him on offense. But uh, <laughs> as, <laughs> defensive rookie of the year, I like. I'm not going to sit here and argue that he didn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think the funny thing about it is there's this huge gap between him and everybody else, and that's not the case. Sure. I mean, Josh Allen should be considered for it. He had that good of a season. So just, it's at the end of the day, though. Let's be honest here, Brent. The 49ers are the one seed in the NFC. You know, and, and that should matter to a and, degree. And they have the record. And, and I think it should matter, too. Now, do I think it's maybe a little overblown from records? Possibly. Maybe that's why uh, Garner Minshew isn't in that list, whatever the reason be. But... Yeah, but if the only have, problem with that is Kyle Murray was five well, wins and, yeah, and the and Raiders I, had seven, so and, it's not much yeah, difference. And, and that's a good point. But I'm saying if you're comparing Josh Allen to Nick Bosa, sure, I'm, I'm sure if you look like you know stat to stat to stat, their numbers are very comparable. Well, then the one that's going to put Bosa over obviously is the record. Well, there is right, even, wrong or indifferent. There is even I think in that voting they did like an MVP, a defensive MVP or something. Or defensive player of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Bosa was like, I think, third or fourth. That's how much people are talking about Bosa and think of Bosa. And sometimes almost the legend becomes bigger than the game. Now, fair question. If Joey, uh, Joey, there we go again, Nick Bosa isn't on San Francisco, do you feel like they're the number one seed? In the NFC. Oh, they absolutely are. I mean, oh, you do? Wait, so, See, so, I don't know if I would so, say that. Wait, so if you, if you take Bosa off the 49ers, take are they number one seed? 
See, I don't. I think he did impact games to he, that point. Oh, I mean, I, I forgot. Well, there's so many primetime games, and this is kind of the point too, right? Where he became kind of a household name because people got to watch him play pretty much yeah. every Monday or every Sunday night. You yeah, know, that's that where it's not small town Jacksonville yeah. as much as it is good Jacksonville. Like, get on some of the national broadcasts. If you were better year after year, you'd be on there. Not because you're small town. Exactly. As much as you'd be better, people want to watch you. And that has a lot to do with it because, like, Clay S. Campbell going to the Pro Bowl. Well, the Thursday night game, guess what? Dude balled out a That's little it. bit. And people got to, you know, see who Clay Campbell was. And I still don't was. think, I think people know Yannick Ngakwe, but not really across the board as well as they should. Sure. Because of that. Yeah. So, so to be fair, do I think the 49ers are still in the one spot? <sighs> I mean, you have arguments both sides, Brent, but honestly, with the way that defense is playing, there's many pieces that they have. I think they find ways to win. So, yes, I think they would still be there if Bosa got hurt or something like that. That's interesting. I, yeah. I mean, I really don't. I don't, yeah. I don't. I think he has made them, you know, it's like uh, Darius Leonard last year for the Colts. Yeah. Without him, I don't think they have that kind of season. Like, he changed games for them. Sure. I think Bosa added to all a lot of good players. Yeah. I think he helped change games. People... Um, Game plan a little I, bit different. I guess I just think of both because like they would sub him in, right? Like because like they rotate guys. Yeah, yeah. So like I see the other guys that they have behind them, like D four and everything. When D Ford's healthy, I feel like they're okay. But I see where you're coming from. It's interesting. Though, like if Josh Allen wasn't here, do the Jags win less than six games? Maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's hard to say. Yeah, <laughs> it's tough. I mean, I, I, honestly, Josh like, Allen, like, I think. But you know what? I without think, Calais Campbell, I don't. I think they would win less than six correct. games. But let's be fair, though. I think defense has even had a game plan against Josh Allen a little bit, so, so that helped him out in the long run. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's going to do it for a Thursday. Show number one of 2020 in the books. Jaguars All Access coming up. Mellow Mushroom and Avondale, our final final one. Hope you can join us. If not, check it out on Fox 30, uh, which will include my sit-down with Calais Campbell. Play a little bit of that tomorrow on the show as well. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you on TV. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.